and launch. We're off another podcast. Whoa, whoa. Uh, with Mark Thomas. What's up, dude? Hey, How man. Are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Doing good. Mark Thomas in Nashville, Tennessee, in your studio. Hit Garage Records is your uh, is correct. That what your studio is called, right? And that is. And, it's an inside um, joke from a long time ago. Really, that's a good name. I like it. Yeah. Because people now think of like a garage, like a mechanic garage, you know, where we're crafting hits and all that fun. But the real truth is when I got my very first Pro Tools rig with a Digi 001, we took it to a, a guy's garage and, and recorded a couple records. It was, they sounded very um, reverby. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of natural, natural reverb. Natural verb, man. No plugins required. So usually man, I have wow, to pay extra going, for that, right? Yeah, gotta, exactly. <laughs> got a 003 you had the the fucking first one man i did man i still have it. it's literally in my rack it does nothing but you know any old school cats that come over are like oh i remember that thing i was like that's right early early 2000 or 99 or something like that so you had that we met well we met before musicians institute and you were out in la for many years yeah. and you and i actually met ironically in college enough station right yeah we met in college station at a random party or so, no i think it was i think i had like gone to some party and met somebody and they were like, and I was Sounds hanging out like with like an, another guitar player. And this chick was like, oh, you got to come meet my friend Mark or my next door neighbor or some shit. Right. And nice. we came over and um, yeah, I'm, that's how we met. And, um, and then you were like, it just so happened that you were going to MI like right before me. And so I kind of had this bridge between you. And then when you went out there, you ended up like getting meeting hostile groove staying in a hostel with right. them you got all you guys became roommates my brother I, ended up playing with hostile groove you i know, never blah, blah, put blah. together that we met in a hostel and their name was hostile groove till you just said that yeah <laughs> they were hostile groove dude hostile <laughs> hostile groove man LA, yes. yeah dude well some and, good times though great times and i remember the um i actually told this story on one of the first podcasts the first time i went out there and um i don't think I mean, I don't know. It's legal a lot of places now. I don't think marijuana use is like what it used to be. It's like, it's not taboo. Right. So talking about smoking yeah. weed is not like a big thing. Right. I don't think so. Right. So, I mean, you know, back then it was like, everybody smoked, <laughs> everybody still smokes. And I remember going, I feel like you, uh, <laughs> went, Whoa, out, no. <laughs> went out there and we're like, uh, um, you know, met these guys in the hostel and, and, and I, I could, it was a long time ago, <laughs> but I, I, a, I think, I think you were like, hey, we're talking 20 plus years, 99, I guess. And my yeah. brother and I had gone out there and like hung out that's in Santa right. Monica with a friend of his. That's when I went into Hollywood. And I think man. you were like, I'm assuming it was, you was like, oh man, the fucking weed out of here is killer. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and you were like, I'm with these dudes. I met these guys and they're like from Boston and this dude has dreads and they're like this metal band and this whole fucking thing. And I came and met up with you guys at that hostel and got blown. And I remember walking. Well, back to my I, car all like i remember is hell. meeting dan and sean my first impression this guy sean he's like six two white guy huge dreads and his hair tie in the back of his head was a python no joke it was his python it was actual python it was yeah. his actual python and when we met we ended up being roommates for years and these guys are awesome guys but uh, i remember sean was like hey man you smoke and i was like <laughs> not cigarettes and he's like yeah no shit and I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, you got a truck? Yeah, let's go. And him and Dan, I mean, that was, yeah, that was 20 years ago. I don't That's really hilarious. do any of that much anymore. I have a kid now and she's the yeah, greatest. Yeah. So yeah, well, congrats on, down. on the marriage and the family. Yeah, how man. old is, uh, how old is your child? 
Ari, Miss Ari, Arabella, she is about to be two years old, dude, and wow. she is the coolest, uh, smartest little kiddo. Very cool, man. And she will never know these stories of her dad when his metal days in L.A. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, smoking a little pot is a far cry from like being a you know heroin junkie or something. Also you know true. I, mean? I did not wind up at the Rainbow Room strung out with Lemmy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The old uh, the old rain blow, man. Yeah. Yeah. Rain exactly. <laughs> uh, oh. Wow. Yeah, dude. But I mean, shit. So that, that takes us back, you know, we briefly met and then I ended up going out there, my, my, yeah. me and my brother. And so knew you from way back then. Yeah. Shot in the Python, Monty, Monty Python, <laughs> Monty correct. Python, um, and all that, all those good times. And then you, uh, and you were always, uh, one thing about us is like, you were a Texas guy. We we're both Texas guys. Yeah. And so Ooh. you just said you were from, from Beaumont. I'm sure we're, you know, influenced by SRV and Eric Johnson and yeah, of we're, course. And, but oh, I remember man. you were huge. Well, obviously another Texan, right? Uh, dime, right. And you had yeah. the dime, uh, was that a Washburn? Yeah, a, I had the Washburn. I never had the Dean. Actually, you know what, man? Oddly enough, I had the extreme pleasure of getting to one of my drummer friends out here works for a company that does, um, that makes this type of fog that, literally all the major people use because somehow it doesn't hurt your vocals it doesn't hurt your vocal cords it's called froggy fox really cool oh. stuff like taylor swift uses it and some major people but hell yeah also uses it and he calls me one day goes dude hell yeah's in town you want to go hang out with vinnie paul and i was like no way 100 percent, yes wow. let's go so we got <laughs> to kick it with vinnie man got to go backstage after the show and hang with him and his at the time his girlfriend before obviously before he died but um I hadn't played the my Washburn Dime guitar. It uh -huh. hangs on my studio with a signed picture when I met him at NAMM in 2000. Right. And it's kind of my like tribute to to Dime. But after Vinny died, I actually started picking it back up and playing it again. I have little vinyls of them with RIP under it on the on the big fin. It's pretty yeah, cool. So cool. I, I pick it up every once in a while. I still play on her, but... Yeah. What was the Washburn? Was that what Dime played before the Dean deal, right? Origi so he, I think he originally had a Dean though. Really? The ML was the the ML man. That that model was made famous by, uh, believe it or not, by Billy Gibbons and the dudes from ZZ Top, Texas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, they had, if you remember, they had the fuzzy ones with all the fur on it that they would spin around in whatever oh, yeah. video. Yeah, but they yeah. were the first guys that used that ML model and dime one. So I, I mean this, the, you know, there's so much lore about that, but I believe he won one from a guy at, you know, he, I don't know how he won it, but the guy put the, I want to say did the, um, it was a tobacco burst, but he ended up losing it to this guy. The guy put the, the lightning graphic and the blue thing on it. And he ended up giving it back to him. And then Washburn made copies of all of them and then made the slime one, which is the one I have. Right. I don't know why yeah. I went with the green slime. I think the lightning bolt was way cooler, but they're all cool. And, eh, and everybody I knows e either one of those though, either one of those, you know, and I, yeah, you had, I mean, that guitar obviously, which is a signature guitar. And then, uh, you're a telly guy. I think, uh, you've always I had a telly, right? Dude, I just got a custom one built for me last year. Really? You want to see it? Yeah, please. Ooh. Hold on. It's right here. This is. This is my girl right here. It's a whiskey barrel oh, finish. Oh man! Oh, that's nice. That's fucking beautiful. But it and since I'm I'm not you know chunky by any means, but I still got the uh, <laughs> the, the belly cut, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is not a telly thing. But uh, oh, I don't know. He engraved my initials. I don't know what that's all about. It's dumb. So but. who did that? <laughs> Lance Alonzo in L.A. Alonzo wow. Guitars. But here's the dopest man. It's actually I know it's weird. The triple dot 
I just wanted something special. But it's That's actually cool. a 24 fret telly with a 16 inch radius. So Holy shit. every appointment's really shreddy and and modern, but it's still low output for you yeah. know. That's killer, man. That's you can beautiful. burn on it, man. It's yeah, it's it's an awesome guitar. I love, love, love tellies. Still don't have one. It's ridiculous. One of my favorite really? guitars. Yeah, I've got still got that Strat. The Strat that I've had now for 20, I bought it in 99. It's a 99 California Strat. And I remember taking that out to LA the same and night. it's still I got, probably the best sounding Strat ever. Dude, it's so great. It's, I mean, I've, you know, I've got a lot of different guitars and that still is one of the, when I play that guitar, I'm like, every time I'm like, oh, what's the guys you sonatas. endorse though? Those are amazing. Well, so I have Dragons and then Go Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Tra Tragen guitar, which I have my own, you know, signature Tragen guitars. And then in the last few years, I've gotten on with Godan guitars, too. Oh, cool, um, man. Yeah, they're, I didn't know dude, that. they're awesome. They're great. And because I've been playing Siegel acoustics for yeah. fucking ever and love those. And I would always run into people in guitar stores and, and been teaching for years. And so people would go, I don't have a guitar. And so I'd say, bang for your buck, man. These Siegel guitars, the shit. And I was like, at, at some point, I was like damn, I probably sold like a lot of Siegel guitars and I Dude. was like, man, I, I should just hit them up. And they, and yeah, it ended up getting a cool rep and we've I've played up at the NAMM show a few times now, but they're great, man. So those, those two companies, You're the one are my, that, you my told guys. me about them. Like I, I literally remember <laughs> there were like, there are some people that, that drink the Alvarez Kool-Aid and, and the Siegel yeah. Kool-Aid. And I have a couple of those guys. They're like, man, seriously bang for the buck. And you're, you're not wrong, man. They're, yeah. they're like really nice acoustics. Yeah, very. It's very rare. Like guitars are individual, so it doesn't matter. You right. know, you could always play one Les Paul and then another Les Paul and be like, "I like this one, but it just feels better to me." They're all individual, but but you know, the odds of like when you play a Taylor or a Martin or a, right. you know that. And I felt yeah. that that was Siegel. Like over all the years of like picking up a random Siegel at a guitar center, there's like been like one time when I was like, "Yeah, not feeling it." But almost every time, it's like feels great, sounds good, you know. But in the in the yeah in the cost, you know, and they're very yeah. Like, Affordable. So, so throwback, what was the name? It was a record you did before you officially went by skunk. And oh. I want to say maybe it was with a girl, but you, it was kind of more acoustic -y stuff. And it started with a D. If I remember, I still have it somewhere. Dude, that was so old school. Uh, yeah. So in 1998, yes. And, yes. And I, I went to when I, li I lived in San Antonio for a few years and I started playing yeah. this guy named and he lives here now. I haven't talked to him in a million years. His name is Ryan Desiato. Desi and we, Desi yeah, that's it. That's it. Desiato. And we did <laughs> we did an album uh, in three days at, at this guy's place in San Antonio. We walked in. We, we did all the. The, the, the drummer was amazing. I actually had this guy's drum set. He he went to A&M, right? So when I moved back to College Station for a bit before I went to L.A., I had this killer full-on Pearl set, dude. And that's wow. how I learned learned to play drums because this guy just like left it at my... He's like, hey, you can just play it at my parents' house. Anyway, he was the drummer. He was great. He came in and we did every all these, you know, all our scratch or how we probably kept stuff. Did the whole fucking guitars... <laughs> drums in one day i went back and did the solos and vote you know we did vocals in two days and then it was so ridiculous because it was like the guy the singer was just like do we even need bass and we're like yeah dude you need bass wow <laughs> and, and like uh so we like this dude pulls out the soul but i remember that dude that was like what i was plugging back then in 1999 yeah. when i met and I you still, i have that the desiato thing it's it's around i mean yeah cds like who uh, listens to cds, CDs like, exactly exactly none of that none of that stuff exists anything that i did there was a couple of different little things that I, I did, you know, around 2000, early 2000s. But yeah, yeah no, those things are all gone. Like, they, yeah. they're not, you know, existing in any kind of like um, Spotify and. Uh, yeah, right. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, yeah, well, wasn't that a crazy. lot of acoustic, though? 
It was a, it was a lot of acoustic and yeah. I did some electric solos on it, but it was, yeah, it was, it was very like acoustic rock. Yeah. Oh, it was cool stuff though. I remember some that. Good stuff. That was great. Some good stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, when man. I moved here, I was an, I had, I'm not an acoustic guy as much as you are. I'm more now, but, uh, being like doing songwriting stuff in town, but, and I have a breed love now that I freaking love to tears. But yeah. Yeah. When I got out here, I have this ovation. Right. And let me tell you, I got straight up shit on by everybody in Nashville. Who's like, you're playing a plastic guitar. If you don't have a Taylor or a Martin, you, you die, go away and die. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's, it's an ovation. It's made by like an aeronautical engineer who understands acoustical. You can't tell them anything, no, man. Dude, they just, the, the, it's funny you say that because the thing about ovations, uh, it's, it's such a, it was such a unique, innovative thing and yeah. in their day. Like I guess in the eighties, like ovations right. were huge. Like everybody yeah. had an ovation. It was fucking cool. And then all of a sudden it was like, not cool anymore. And yeah. you never see ovations now. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing Aldi Miola play in an ovation and that's, but that was like it. <laughs> I had to wipe myself off and get a real acoustic guitar at some point. So, <laughs> so you got the, a, breed, a breed love. I do like it. I, I couldn't go down the Taylor or the Martin path as much as I like them. I was like, no, I'm not going to succumb to your Nashville peer pressure. <laughs> I was like, I don't what? care. I'm going breed love. Well, speaking of Nashville, how long have you been there now? Five plus years, eight coming Jesus up on Christ. Yeah, really? Eight years okay. actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Loving it. Except for this last year, this last year was kind of, um, you know, yeah, a little salty so about this last year. <laughs> you do. Um, and your wife is a singer and a musician, yeah. right? And you guys have played together and you've done some, you know, you played with various bands, done some, some touring and stuff, I guess, yeah. but obviously you have your studio and that's your, your main business. Well, I, I, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't until this last year, my studio was always like, I didn't even, so here's a quick tidbit about Nashville music city, right? up until literally like three months ago, owning this studio and, and trying to make it with a business license and do this the legal way was illegal for the last like 30 years in a town where 90% of the studios are in homes, including Music Row, which is all houses yeah. and all these things. So what it is, is none of these areas, there's only a couple areas in town dual zone for both business and, and residential. And there've been guys fighting this, literally fighting this with lots of money and campaigns for about 10, like really hard for the last 10 years. One guy in particular, like somebody in his neighborhood in East Nashville, like tried to get a business license and he found out he couldn't have a home business. So he reported every single business anywhere near him. Like he ratted out like all these studios and people and they all got cease and desist letters so one guy took it upon himself. Well, they long story short, they just voted in in about three months ago that I could legitimately now I can finally have a website up that has my address and not be in fear of getting shut down. And that's crazy. It's nuts, man. Wow. But uh, honestly, for the last three years, like touring was my like main money with various artists, you know, and like when we moved here, I don't know if you know who this is, but some guys do Engelbert Humperdinck, who is like the old crooner, like Tom Jones oh, fuck Carissa yeah, toured dude. the world with him for like two and a half, almost three years. No so shit. when we moved here from LA, she was on tour with him every about 10 to 12 days a month for almost it's like two, a, a backup singer or yeah, background singer. Yeah. Wow. So she made all, and I mean, he paid like when we met Nashville people out here that were on like major label tours and she said what she was making per show and getting half rates for days off. They were like, wait, what you get paid? What? <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> and, uh, amazing. 
she made all of our money, man. Literally, I did every free mix, every free gig. Like nobody cared about your past dues that you've already paid in LA. Nobody cared. So yeah. I did so much free work and it took, you know, a few years just to get your name out there and you know, get the studio around and then people finally started, you know, to take a little bit of notice and it's good. So well, yeah, business I mean, is I mean, good now. Obviously you got a lot of competition in a town like that, of course, you know, yeah, but that's but so see, interesting to hear about. Like, yeah. So were a lot of these re records kind of under the radar or were these resident studios, residential? No, this, some, like there's some major, I mean, there's some major people doing really crazy things out of quote unquote, pro very professional, but home studios, with, right. you know, crazy gear and all of that. And I mean, people just don't report them because they're not loud or whatever that, you know. A lot of records are made in home studios. That's all mm -hmm. I'm getting at. Right. <laughs> so Nashville was on, uh, uh, was the for, forerunner of that, of the home studio game. They've been doing it for 30 years or more. Well, I mean, you know, like a lot of the major, like thing is a lot of the major artists, you know, when they get hits and all that, they start building out their own studios so, to cut the overhead right. of going into yeah. Blackbird or wherever. Yeah. And technically what they're doing is illegal, but who's going to report, you know, Keith Urban's home studio? <laughs> or whatever that's weird so, yeah. yeah yeah it's nuts man oh. and it seems like only the little guys get shit on so it's it's kind of it's how it goes so what brought you to nashville what what made you guys decide to make that move well that's a great question um carissa came out here twice we had a guy that or a guy that we or a couple that we considered our la parents quote unquote and uh by day this dude jeff was an entertainment lawyer um, in Beverly Hills. I mean, they were, they were very well off and he took Chris out to, uh, Nashville twice to record a couple records. And she was just the singer and they hired the band and did all of that. And she fell in love with it in 2009. I came out here with, um, a guy named Rob Corona and we were put in front of uh, Warner chapel and, and Mercury VPs and stuff. And we you know, went out there to showcase and few things happened with him. He's actually out here now. And, uh, I fell in love with Nashville and when Riss and I, when Chris and I got married, it was one of those things where we were like, well, Oregon's boring. That's where you're from. We can't move there. There's no music <laughs> scene, not even in Portland. And I was like, and as much as I think I would love to be in Austin, which I would realistically, I was like, as much as I love Texas and have that Texas blood, I can't tell my wife I won't move to where you're from and then be like, yo, you should move where I'm from. That's not cool. So Nashville was kind of like a compromise and we had some people and friends out here but the real reason, and this is kind of a sad story, get ready for your tissues. Um, the guys that she recorded with those two albums, she kept contact with for something like 10 years almost. And she called him, said, Hey, we're thinking about moving out there. You know, uh, my husband's an engineer, blah, 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 blah. Do you, do you ever need a second engineer to the, to the guy? His name was, um, Howard Purdue was the producer and the, the guy. Oh yeah. The guy that ran and owned the studio, it was called, uh, his name was George Clinton, but like old white George Clinton, not. P-Funk, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so she was like, well, my husband's like Pro Tools certified, this and that. He's really good. He's fast. You know, if you need someone, and he goes, oh, I'll, I'll hire him as an intern. If he's really good, you know, he can be my assistant and blah, 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 blah. So we made plans. We quit MI after many years. You know, I gave him eight months notice, right? It was weird, but did it anyway. Were you teaching there uh, doing uh, I did recordings? some teaching, but mostly I was the curriculum supervisor. That's ah, what that's okay. what I did for the last like five or six years. But um, so we, we had plans to meet this guy, come out to Nashville, hang out, check out the scene. And a, 
two weekends before we came to Nashville. And I'm telling you, man, this was my foot in the door. And I'm not saying this story as like a woe is me thing. But um, George had like a heart attack and went to the hospital. And when he went to the hospital, he found out the same weekend that he had cancer. And he died like literally like two weeks before our plane landed just to go meet him and shake hands. So I never even got to shake the man's hand. Oh, wow. And we still decided to move. I mean, we're still like, you know what? We feel like this is the right move. We've kind of worn out L.A., kind of tired of it. Let's go. And so we still came out, and, you know, the paths were a little bit different than they would have been. But mm-hmm. uh, I still think it was definitely the right choice, and we love it out here. Although, secretly, I would love to go back to Texas, to the yeah, motherland. I mean, all these places are popping, uh, you know, and the big cities are always going to be these the big cities. But, like, yeah. I don't know, man. It seems like so. I mean, there's been just a lot of people leaving California and LA. Yeah, and then Austin's Austin's huge. Uh, Nashville's huge. We were just talking yeah. to Lenny, man. Remember Lenny? Yeah. J? Oh uh, yeah. He man. was he was on here uh, recently and um about uh, bouncing back and forth between Vegas, man. A lot of stuff's happening in Vegas right now. He's such a showman too. I can see him. I can see him being a Vegas guy. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. So, yeah, man. But I mean, do Nashville. I mean, one thing about Aust- the, the difference between Austin and Nashville, there's a lot of great um, musicians in Austin, live music capital, blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody's suffering right now with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just getting harder and harder maybe to be an original rock band. I'm sure it's, this, I know it's the same in Nashville. You got to cover bands out the ass. Oh yeah. Tri- it used to be in that way in LA tribute bands. Austin's there's tribute bands. You know, that's the money makers, the, the cover bands. Um, so the original scenes are usually pretty underground at best. Right. But, and, well, but Nashville, unless you're red dirt, unless you're red dirt, Texas country, red dirt, Texas. Well, there you go. Yeah. The Texas country. See, that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. But you guys, I mean, uh, I mean the business though, if you're, if you want to do music business, like Nashville just crushes Austin, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a business hub. Right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I never have done the Austin business thing, so I don't know, but I do know. I mean, one of the things they do have out here is a really huge Christian music market as well. You know, with with you got your huge like ASCAP, CSAC, and BMI, and CSAC handles all like the big Christian artists. Like, I actually got to play uh, the Grand Old Opry three times, man. I got to play Jason Crabb, who's a fantastic like gospel singer, like beast of a singer. Got to play with him and a guy named Matthew West and a couple of those guys on some like Easter, you know churchy type things that were really cool like awesome players awesome bands but the opry is you know that was one of my bucket list things so i got to cross that off a couple times that's killer man yeah i didn't realize you would so i didn't realize you had actually been touring as much yeah that, that was kind of your main gig that like was i mean on, that's uh, definitely how i'm tried to make i mean you know man i'm a, i like to play you know just like yeah. like anybody i i love like I love doing the studio thing, the the brain puzzle figure out. Like I should I should honestly, man, you should uh if you get on hitgaragerecords.com, get on my website and listen to some of the sounds. You should listen to the last metal thing I got to mix. Oh yeah, it's, for sure. I haven't got to mix metal in so many years. It's always like pop country and stuff, but mm-hmm. this song it's crazy, dude. It'll it'll blow your mind. It's the, one of the heaviest things I've ever mixed, and it's fantastic. But now, is anyway. this someone from Nashville? Or these people just no, sending no, you no, mixes Swedish from across, band, the, yeah, around the world. It was just okay. a remix project, but nothing. Cool. All good, but yeah, uh, playing is. I think playing. I don't know. My my mind and heart are equally divided in playing and and mixing. So, but I got in with um, a label out here called SSM, which is a lot of Nashville. It's 
oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to be mean or say anything negative about the people that give me money. But a lot of labels out here, not SSM because they're perfect, mm-hmm. but a lot of labels out here are uh, kind of like playing the whiskey, you know, it's like pay to play it if you don't mm-hmm. do this and that. Yeah. So there's a lot of labels founded by some artists that maybe was had pretty big hits. Like for instance, I can talk smack about this all day. There's a label called Average Joe's out here. They love to scout and get new talent. Average Joe's is run by or is owned by Colt Ford, if y'all know who that is. He's a white redneck rapper, country rapper. Mm -hmm. Very unique niche genre, right? White rapper, country. His band, though, is freaking insane. Like, they're so good. Of course. The bands are always amazing. Everyone on this label that pays in to go on radio tours. There's something out here called the music row charts, right? So you'll pay all this money to go on a radio tour and they'll show your song as I'm Kelly blonde hair that just moved to town. And I have my single, Oh, it's above Dirk's Bentley's new single on the music row charts. They don't report. Like when you go on radio tours, there's what they call like primaries and secondaries and tertiaries as far as their reporting. And like Texas has a huge, primary in dallas so if you're going on radio tours in texas usually that's pretty big deal when you're going to um uh lafayette tennessee where there's like 200 people and you're on a radio tour you're not reporting your spins you know and all that stuff so this music row chart is kind of bs but they take their money and that money subsidizes colt ford's tour bus fund or whatever you see what i mean (laughs) yeah yep a lot of labels do that and so I happened to play with the band. They were called Branch and Dean, which they're great, but they were uh, very suspiciously, sounds a lot like Brooks and Dunn. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, I toured with these guys for a few years, man, and Dean runs the label. He owns, and now they have another lady who actually, I think, broke Billy Ray Cyrus, like runs their label, and they're doing better. But now Branch and Dean don't really do much anymore, but they just get a lot of artists on their roster. And so he hired me to band lead for pretty much all of them or go on radio tours with any of them. And so mm-hmm. for like the last four or five years, if I wasn't out with somebody, I was out with one of these girls or guys with an acoustic, like hitting all these radio stations at every hour of the morning and like blasting through their new single and, you know, stuff like that, which is, it's kind of fun. Like it can be cool and they pay you well, which is good, but creatively it's maybe not ideal <laughs> yeah well that's cool though right because that then you get to you get to have your creative side of a musician in the studio and doing those things and, and, the mixing and if you're producing something right like yeah because when you're going out on the road with the with those very specific polished uh acts that are like it's expected to be a certain way right and a certain exactly. kind of thing so you're you're going to play that role like that's what you do it's not it's not about like hey look at me being mark thomas the individual guitar right. player right you know i'm the help <laughs> it's yeah. fine yeah, it's a paycheck it. yeah and you, i mean yeah i imagine you get to place for some good sizable crowds and that's all sometimes cool. yeah 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 um what is your what are your i'm actually curious about studio gear but also let's talk about your live rig uh what are you okay what do you oh tend man to take i'm out so on the ready for this yeah let's do it <laughs> so please don't poop on me I love pushing air like every guitar player in the world. I love it. I think it's the greatest thing in the world, but Kemper. literally, huh? Use a Kemper. No, baby. No, baby. I'm fractal all the way. <laughs> fractal. So tell fractal, what is fractal audio. Um, in the studio, I actually have an Axe FX3, which is pretty amazing. But my, my fly rig and my tour rig is the, the fractal FM3 with an FC6 foot switch and 
I literally go, f- I mean, I will, I will be honest, like people eat with their eyes, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I, you know, the term, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Sure, people sure, eat with yeah. their eyes. Every time we play a show, it's in our rider that the back line has like some, like an AC 30 or some kind of amp sure. back there that usually is mic'd up with a mic cord, literally going nowhere. And usually power <laughs> lights aren't even on. Yeah. And I've had people come up after shows and things are like, dude, I've never heard a Vox sound exactly like a, a, a half stack of Mesa boogies. I'm like, yeah, it's funny because <laughs> that's what I, I wasn't even plugged into it. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I run literally, I run two lines, stereo front of house. And that's it. And everything's in ears now, you know, so, or at least if I'm lucky in the bands that I'm playing with, we're mixing our ear mix on our phones with like M32 app and yeah, like the, the band I was out with for the last couple of years, they were both, it was a husband wife duo that was on the voice called two way crossing and they're amazing. But obviously this last year I didn't play one show with them. Mm -hmm. We've got shows in Florida in uh, April, like a week of shows. That'll be the first time I will have played with like a live band of real people in a long time. But, um, these guys are so incredibly pro man. It's like they fly with two X 32 racks and the whole thing in a sub snake and they mm-hmm. roll in and whoever's like, yeah, plug into sub snake. Here we go. Boom, boom, boom. And we're, we're rocking dude. Everybody's on ears. Everybody's got full tracks and click. I mean, it's, it's simple. Like, you know, nice. like you can't mess the gig up. It's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty fun. But, um, so yeah, so you don't have to worry. But I mean, you got some old. Uh, it, you got some. What do you tour with? It's just a couple of guitars, or do you have a lot of um, different? So different if it's axes? fly dates, yeah, I have my mono like a dual bag, and I can literally only take. I mean, unless I want to pay for more. Um, a lot of times, the new telly, the new telly goes. Uh, and the funny story about that is, I had just literally just got it in the mail from Lance. Um, he sent it to me, and we went out on the road to North Dakota, and we played a show in this little BFE town called Mott, North Dakota. And we show up and we're the headliner and the first band's like kind of getting down. We, we set our stuff up. We did the rock star thing and got our gear checked. Sounded fantastic. Went back to the hotel and napped hard like <laughs> rock stars. Yeah. Totally. We took those naps mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, be back about eight. And we're like, cool, man. So we show up and I kid you not, they're like, putting plastic like little plastic wrap stuff over our instruments they're like hey there's a little little cloud you know a little storm cell you guys are with the you know with with the event so we're just gonna you guys can hang out in the beer garden man drink up have fun we're just gonna cover everything with little tarps just in case you know because there's an outdoor stage we're like all right cool about 15 minutes later there's a cop running into us he goes you guys have to get in this van right now we gotta take you to tornado shelter Holy shit. Tornado. Oh yeah. I got video of it, dude. He's like, tornadoes dropping on your heads in like, like right now we have to go. Um, and my guitars, the drummer was the smart one. He put his cymbals away in cases. Every other person, we left our stuff under tiny plastic tarps Uh, and it was the first time out with that uh, new guitar. Yeah. And bro, when we showed back up, there was a, like a, a, not a barn, but like this, like a building next to the stage. And when they let us through to get our gear after the tornado hit, um, that building was gone, like actually gone. And my guitars, I have, I have, uh, also this girl, this is my number one, my sir. Oh, okay. That's my, that's my favorite, my favorite girl in the world. But I took, usually it's the sir and the, uh, telly that go with me on these gigs mm-hmm. and both the sir and my new telly were sitting in a muddy, like in the muddy water. And there was a guy picking them up and spraying them off with a hose. And I was like, 
what are you doing? He's like, trust me, it's already wet. You want to get the mud out of there. Wow. I was like, I was crying inside. And uh, we then spent two hours driving, I think back to Bismarck or something like that, just to get to a hotel that had power. And our lead singer is a tech nerd. Like that's what he does as a job. And he literally took apart my pedal board at the time. It was the other fractal thing. It was called the Axe 8. He took mine apart, took my buddy's Helix apart, took all of the gear, like cleaned, cleaned, dried, put it back together, checked it, teched it, and was up till like eight or nine in the morning. And we had to show that next day, opening up for David Nail and like, except for the Nord. Oh, they dude, our, our, the girl singer has a Nord stage, whatever. And like, mm. that's the only thing that died. Mm. It totally died in the rain, but I dried my guitars, you know, without hair dryers and stuff. Like I sat and did the right thing and, you know, dried them off with towels and like cold air, this and that. And they're fine now, but that That's was heart wrenching. Like, and nothing got cracked or, or no, not in the guitars. The guitars were perfectly fine, man. Wow. I don't know how I'm still baffled by it, but, and my pedal board rig was perfectly fine too. So must've done some good charity in a former life, man. Must, I am. <laughs> I hope so. I must wow. have because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the last ball, that that headstock would have cracked right the fuck off. <laughs> That's 100% right. I shouldn't right, say bad I'm... things about Gibson since Gibson was so nice. To, to, <laughs> but man. Like, but man, my, I, my Les Paul has been, well, to be fair, one time it got run over by a van and no guitar is going to survive that. But the other time it fell over in the case and cracked the headstock. I've retired <laughs> this guitar. It's still plays. I got a guy who, in Wimberley, really? actually. There's a dude in Wimberley who's a fucking genius with this shit and really? my guitar got run over by a fucking van and he fixed and a guy it. in Wimberley fixed it yes all right to that's tony, good to know tony nobles yeah if you're ever you actually you ever just made me kind of sad because i have a gold top that i've never like i've never flown with it and now i'm kind of going you know maybe i shouldn't <laughs> yeah i mm, <laughs> i i I, re I i did a video recently where we had we, we played gibson's because the band is with gibson right yeah and i was like and so i used another guy's les paul because i was like no my, my fucking les paul is not leaving my house anymore <laughs> uh, I, I get it man dude especially when you've had guitars for a long time like that's that's the thing when you're there your babies i mean i've had i had one of my seagulls got stolen and um you know, I've had a few few things happen as guitars over the year, but when you have those ones that you've had for 20, 25 yeah. years, whatever, like that's just like, dude. I mean, I don't want my that. baby to break her neck. <laughs> yeah, that, I, that's amazing though, <laughs> that it, uh, you survived a tornado and with your fucking guitars survived a tornado. That's somehow I, that's I still don't know how, man. Oh, that was awful. Wow, dude. So I will yeah. say the fractal stuff's built better than the line six helix stuff. The the singer literally lifted up my dude's helix on the side and water oh. just like poured out of it. Wow. Yeah, the there's fractal the helix. One, yeah, it was perfect. Fractal. So it's the same kind of deal. And then there's the um, head rushes, another company. Have you used those? Yeah, I haven't. Um I mean I've used the big three personally and, and again guitar players are gonna crucify me that watch this and and i've used a helix i've used kempers and i've used fractal stuff and i personally think that fractals and kempers sound the best but the kemper although and the sound of the kemper may be slightly better than the fractal but i don't think the feel is as i don't think the feel is 100 percent there like on the fractal if you're really if you're playing on ears and you're not taking your ears out, you know what I mean? And you're still trying to rock out. Like there's something about it when you let off, like it just, it just feels like you're playing through a real tube amp, man. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not, uh, you know, Wouldn't I'm you not hundred percent biased. 
What did you play back in the day before all this stuff? What was what, Marshalls? What? I had a JCM 900 4100 series that I had for years that I played. I still have my amp out here. If I need an amp, which is rare, right? I have this Rivera that I would kill for, man. It's a combo. It's called the 100 Duo 12. Um, and it's it's basically the Vince Gill amp, man. It's his oh, was wow. a 50 watt, but it's the same thing. It's it's like um it's weird to me. The the dirt channel is really marshally hmm. and the clean channel somehow is really chimey kind of ac 30 ish like it's it's kind of hmm. bizarre it's it's a weird one but i love it it's one of my faves i played a knucklehead for years man. yeah I've, st- I've still got a knucklehead um uh head that i love man yeah rivera's great stuff now you know back in the day day i did play i didn't have the money for the randall warhead <laughs> the dime actual head but i did have i think it was called the rand the randall cyclone there was a hundred and or no, it was 300 Watts. Jesus. But no, 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 no. But it was solid state. Right. So Uh I know the math in there is sometimes different. Like a, it's basically about as loud as a triple rack, which is 150 tube Watts. Right. Mm -hmm. It's something like that, but it was a, you know, they, they boasted 300 Watt Randall death machine (laughs) and yeah, it it, it worked. Is Randall even a thing anymore? Like, I don't, I don't, right. I haven't haven't heard about Randall. I feel like on the last damn show I went to, like, there was like literally like, I don't even know if Randall was there or it was like one head, you know, there's some dude in a corner named Randall. That's like, Hey, Hey, yeah. What's up guys? It's me. Crazy dude. Yeah. I don't think they are, man. Do you ever do those anymore? The NAM shows? Do, I, I mean, I guess they have them in Nashville. It's like they do. Yeah. Summer, summer NAMs out here. And, um, it's really cool, man. I actually, the last, the last one, I just, I went in for a couple days. I don't have any business there. No. And I don't do demos or anything, but I'll, I'll get to go and hang out sometimes and see a lot of the old MI crew, which is cool. There've been a couple guys that roll through that are with various companies. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who do you, uh, Obviously, you know, Sean and Dan, you know, from Boston and, and everything, but who do you, who, who's some people you stay in touch with, man? I mean, shit, you were out there forever and working. Yeah, in we're MI, out there so like 12 every, years. Everybody, um, you know? Realistically, and this is going to sound really crappy in the last couple of years, it's been hard for me to stay in touch with lots of people because the fatherhood duties are, it's a little wild. It's awesome, but it's a little wild. But, um, I don't know if you remember a guy named Kenny Etchison. He was a. He was a student there, I think, when I got there, but he ended up teaching there for a long time. Monster funk and, like, I mean, every genre, you know. Mm-hmm. He honestly seems like an Austin kind of guy to me, man. Can play metal, rock, country, funk, whatever, mm-hmm. blues, jazz, but very well-rounded dude. <clears throat> I've, I've seen him a few times. Um, the thing is, Nashville, like, I've met so many people, or not met, I know so many people from L.A. that are out here now. Right. So I don't almost have to keep up with people. You know, a lot of people just moved out here. Right. Um, So a lot of the old crew from the metal days, I don't know if you remember a band called Lifeline from back in the day of Hostile Groove and all that. Yes. Bass player, Kevin Ogburn, big bald guy. He's out here, man, killing it. Okay. Playing with tons of guys and touring. Um, There's a guy named Brian Allen, who is a monster at MI, bass player, guitar player, but he tours with like Robin Ford and oh wow, like some monster fusion guys now. And wow, it's it's cool. It's cool. There's there's a number of people out here that um, like you remember our apartment, Mm -hmm. right? That Sycamore Terrace or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a couple of the guys that lived in that thing are out here now too. Uh, There was a kid named Jason Cope that everyone out here calls Rowdy. 
they just call him Rowdy because he was on he went on tour with uh not Chris Stapleton, it's another guy like him. But then now he started his own thing. I don't know. It's cool, man. I run into people all the time. It's like, oh my God, you're you know, you're one of the LA old school crew. Right. And this is what you got going. Yeah. And everyone's got cool. But shit recently, happening. this is the good one for you. Crucifix doll. You remember the albino guys, Casey Mismechi and Nick mm-hmm. and those guys? Mm-hmm. Casey was in corn. I don't know if you knew that. He was mm-hmm. in corn for a while. I think Casey I just bought a house out here and he's out here. We actually I go into his house to help him build a pedal board tomorrow. <laughs> Is Kate now? Is Casey the same guy? I think I knew that dude is Kale, or am I? Are these two different? Kalen, Kalen, that's yeah. what it is. Same guy. So, yeah, one and the okay. same. Okay, so that I guess that's pretty. Like you said, he's building a house, but that's recent because wasn't he playing with Dan and Time in the Dragon? Exactly. Yeah, we and just, Nick, I had Nick, not heard the other them. albino guy. Nick is his brother, and Nick okay. used to manage Carissa back when we were doing Carissa's. Um, well, we're still doing Chris's band, but right. a different different project now. Wow. Okay, cool. But yeah, wow. Casey's out here, man. We hang with him every once in a while. And as, cool. as metal as he is, dude, he, he loves our daughter too. It's so funny. He turns to a little pile of goo every time she's around <laughs> for as hardcore as that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. We talked, well, we had Welby on the show and, uh, we were talking about, uh, talking well, we about a kid. I, well, we just had a kid, man. Had a I don't, boy. That's crazy. I, yeah. I don't think he was. Yeah. He wasn't born yet when we interviewed him. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was, it was close. Right. It was yeah. real yeah, close. Yeah, Orion. Yeah, it just, it just ha- oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> bad. It's so bad. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't know what he, I mean, I didn't talk to him in forever. Uh, just like, yeah. you, you know, I saw you guys. I remember last time I was, well, no, it was when I first got with Tragen actually. And I went out to, <laughs> I went out to LA. It was the first Nam show I played out there in 2008, maybe. Wow. Yeah, it was nice. fucking so long ago. And uh, the uh, I remember hanging out. I don't even know if you were still living. I don't think you were at Sycamore then. I think maybe Sean was no. living with Leah at the time. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we all, it was weird, man. Every, like Dan, if you remember, Dan was married to a girl named Isabel. Oh, wow. For a little yeah. while. They, di- they got divorced. They're still friends, I think. I don't know, <laughs> but I don't uh, even know if I saw Dan back then. I, I feel like I met up with you somewhere for, you know, a bite to eat or some shit, but I mean, that was, you know, fucking 12, 13 years ago, whatever. Yeah, I'm um, sure we did. That sounds about right. And I did a photo shoot with Sean. <laughs> nice. Sean was just like, uh, Hey, yeah. hey you want to do some photos? You know, like he's always got like always business on the brain. Right. That's and, it. And I was like, ah, it, fine. but yeah, dude, got a great photo shoot from him back then. And, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's I feel like that's probably the last time I saw you. And yeah, it's been it's crazy been, uh, to think you've been in Nashville for eight years, dude. Eight Shit. years. It's a long time. It's awesome, man. But we like it. What part of the you know what? I rem- I think I texted you when I was on tour a few years ago when we drove I think through. you did. Um, yeah, I dude, I haven't been to Nashville since the summer. You're asking me like places to eat and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't think yeah. I could line it up. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to run. Man. That's right. That's right. We just passed through. We didn't I'm have any sorry. shows anywhere around there. No, I mean, that was, I was like one of those, oh, I think I it was probably bad. one of those, like I'm an hour away from Nashville. Oh, I should hit up Mark. It's like, no dude, you'd like probably need to like let people know. Like, <laughs> well, no, I mean, normally, man, I try though. If I'm, if I'm within like not too far, like I, I did have a friend who was in Memphis. who was like, bro, you got to come meet me here in Memphis. And I was like, man, you don't understand. That's like a four, four hour that's drive. A ways. Yeah. That's yeah. a little ways or three and a half, something like that. But I was like, you got to give me more notice. Like I will come to Memphis if if I have a day's notice, man. You got to let me know. I hate. Are Memphis. you oh. what? What you hate Memphis? I hate Memphis. It's so awful. 
<laughs> Why? I've been there. Um, I actually dated it's a girl cracky. That's all I'm going to say. It's just cracky. It's, yeah. <laughs> like I, if you go I, to I Beale Street now, they charge and they charge like five bucks to go on to Beale Street, which is a what? public street. What? The reason is it helps keep the crackheads off, oh, wow. off of Beale Street, which is horrible. No way. It's funny. Um, kind of true. First time I went to Memphis, um, and it just is what it is, you know, in terms of race. But like, so I went to the first time I went to Memphis, uh, met up with this chick and like, of course, some, oh, actually we met up in Nashville and so that was the last time I was in Nashville. It was 2009. Man. Uh, trying to put this all together. Yeah. Something like that. And then we, so then we did something down there and then we drove up to, or and then we drove to Memphis where she lived and we went and, uh, went to, of course I wanted to go Bill street in the, you know, rock and roll soul museum, yeah. went to the Gibson factory used to be there. Yeah. So that was cool. And, used uh, to. Uh, used to I, are they in nashville now yeah I feel like someone was just telling me telling well there was the, the main one was in nashville but like the one that did all the arch tops and all of that stuff was in was in memphis and when they filed for bankruptcy i guess they moved the whole thing uh to nashville now well so. gibson is absolutely fucking crushing it now dude now thank god <laughs> yeah i was sad if dude it, slash should have just saved him he should have just bailed him out <laughs> I mean, they are killing it. It's pretty amazing. And now they got Mesa Boogie under their, yeah. you know. I, I don't know way. about that, though, man. What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty heavy-hitting stuff, so. Yeah. Seems a little strange, but I guess safety in numbers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't you know. know. Hopefully, it's a, it, hopefully, that turns out to be a good thing. But what do I care? I play fractals. Yeah, I exactly. I play fake amps. Yeah, ex- people nowadays are like an amp. What? Fuck that. Um <laughs> But anyway, I was in Memphis, right? And so we go down to Beale Street and it was like, I don't know what the event was, but it was just packed and like everybody was black, right? And I had this like clutch shirt on and my fucking mohawk and I'm like, you know, 16, walking, like I act like I'm buff or something, but I'm a pretty, pretty big guy one way or another, right? And I'm walking around and I'm just like, a fish out of fucking water like everyone's yeah and this one guy was like man when'd you get in town <laughs> i was just like oh man i've been here my whole life <laughs> nice yeah i i don't know man i i liked it but it seems like everything right it's it's hard to tap in i feel like austin's the same way to tap into whatever that nostalgia once was right yeah of, for sure of, um i don't know what music row is like but well mu- music row per se is is literally all studios um the the Beale Street of Nashville is Lower Broadway. Okay, where all the bars and you know, and it's basically like Austin Sixth Street, except or yeah. like that used to be. Except for instead of blues SRV wannabes, it's like country, right? Yeah, and cover bands like tons exactly. of cover bands. I mean, every yeah, everywhere you go, except one spot. There's like literally one. Well, I shouldn't say that now. I don't ever go down on a Broadway anymore, but. There's a place called like Robert's Western World or something like that, mm-hmm. where you'll actually see some like Western swing and like some pickers doing some just blow your mind kind of stuff. Like there's a dude that plays upright that like does the stray cats thing and walks up the side of his upright while he's slapping it and walks back down it and flips it. And, mm-hmm. you know, they put on a show, but it's definitely not top 40 country. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if you're ever into like Bob Will, like Texas Playboys and all that stuff, like all the country jazz. Old school, yeah, yeah. Old school, like they do stuff like that, like double speed, <laughs> you know, just like burning it up. But it's it's cool. Hey, did Dale Watson go up there? Who was it? we were just talking about this? Vic was he in Nashville or Memphis? I feel like I somehow this just came Dale up Watson about this. 
I think I thought it, it was Red Volkart. Red oh. Volkart. Oh, you know Red Volkart, right? Red yeah. Volkart's bad, dude. I, he went. I think he Fucking moved beast. to Tennessee or something. Somebody mentioned that, right? Yeah, he did. I think he did move. Wow. I don't remember Dale Watson though. Huh. I thought he. I thought he went somewhere. That's maybe. a big old like. Uh, what do you call it? uh overall no t-shirt <laughs> oh, red Volkart? ginger oh yeah dude you know the thing about red Volkart is <laughs> whenever amazing. like whenever yes, someone starts playing guitar they're like oh, i just can't my hands are too big i'm like bullshit red Volkart, dude he has the sausage fingers yeah. and that yeah. guy is just it's just beautiful like it's yeah. finesse i mean jazz you know country it's, it's like that guy's an animal so good and he's hilarious too have you ever seen him live he's fucking hilarious i've never actually seen him live he's man. so funny I, man have you seen him vic yeah yeah no we uh i remember you invited me out a while back and uh continental club i guess it's a hay bale maybe no it wasn't continental it's a little like cafe or something Wero's, maybe Wettles. Oh, <laughs> wow, that was a Wettles. long time ago yeah yeah before they yeah. got busted for some kind of cocaine trafficking or some shit yeah yeah, you know, yeah, that's what yeah. always happens to, to bar. Yeah, it was a little restaurant bar, and uh, that's right. I remember that now. Um, yeah, but he, uh, yeah, he always had this bit where he'll be like, because I guess he has some instructional videos and stuff, and he'll be like, you know, play, and he's like, yeah, blah blah blah. We got some, we got some guitar porn. We got that's right. guitar porn. That's right. <laughs> that's nice. That's right. I do remember DVDs. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. He was he was awesome to watch. But you're right. He had those big old freaking mitts. Yeah, and he was just he was just killing it, man. Yeah, there's never an excuse. I mean, unless he has like some weird custom built like huge fretboard guitars or something that nobody knows about. But yeah, it looks like normal stuff, and you're just like that's yeah. baffling. I don't know how yeah. it's crazy, but yeah, it's like playing with your big like basically guys like five big toes on his fucking hand. Yeah, he's somehow still playing his beautiful bar guitar. chords beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's talk about studio gear man what's going on uh i mean we before we went on here we were you were telling us about just a souped up mac that you got now that with uh with you know power all the power you need right all the power uh, the master of the universe no it's um that's that's obviously the heart i'm rocking an avid control surface with some faders that move around um an apollo x8p that i do love um, I went down the Apollo bus, uh, or I sipped that Kool-Aid long ago, but finally was able to, to get the guy with all the mastering quality converters and all of that. And it, it sounds amazing. When you say um, Apollo, is that the UA thing we're talking about? Yeah. 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 And it's, so what's your ends out on that, on that? So basically the X, the X eight. So the X series was the, was kind of their flagship thing that has like, they changed up their, your A to D and D to A converters and the clock source and all of that. It's really, it's pretty pretty beast but it's eight in um and depending on how you run your outs i mean if you were daisy chaining that to something else you have light pipe and all sorts of other ways i think mm -hmm. you have 18 out on it but at my studio i literally i'm here i work out of a, another place called sweet briar so if i track drums or anything like that like i know at my place i never sought to like the gear investment alone is just stupid you know what i mean to track yeah. drums yeah yeah and I've, I had the extreme pleasure of getting to, to work on some with an artist that I'm kind of his, I don't know what you'd call me. I, either way, this, a friend of a friend recommended me for this gig and, and I went in and, you know, was kind of teaching these guys pro tools at first, like teaching them all the shortcuts and so they could record their demos at home 
but this dude has a grip of money and, and I end up getting to work with him at Blackbird in like the D studio, which is like the bad, the bad boy studio with like this 20 foot rock ceiling for the drum room with like an actual reverb tank where they move wow. mics up and down in this, like it was, it was dope, man. Um, but I got to work in and out of Blackbird for a, a little while and that was fun. Uh, so once you hear drums cut perfectly to the point that like you put them in a mix and you literally don't have to do anything, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like almost nothing, almost no EQ or compression. I mean, all literally almost nothing. They just sit and they're beautiful and perfect. Yeah. Uh, after that, I was like, yeah, there's no reason with my, my live room that has like drop ceiling acoustic tiles, which honestly is killer. Like when I cut vocals, it's great in there, but, but not for drums, you know? So I pretty much only do overdub stuff at my studio and I'm mostly a mixed studio. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, my very first question when I work with people is, Hey, what's your budget? And, you know, like I'm literally, I'm producing a, uh, actually producing a hard rock band called upon the revelation. And if you look these guys up today, they just dropped at 420. They dropped a single <laughs> on like Spotify and whatever. And it was something that I did not work on because I've been working with them for the better part of six months uh-huh. and talking about, you know, okay, where are we going to do this? You guys want to cut an EP. This is the kind of budget you need. And everything they were sending me originally was like periphery meets Parkway Drive meets um, um, I Prevail, stuff like that. Like pretty heavy, right? Pretty technical. So we kind of came up with a, a game plan and with all of these things, I had to have the hard conversation with them. It's like, guys, everything you sent me was recorded in a million dollar studio. So what's <laughs> your budget? Because if you want to put out a single and the single is going to be, you know, your flagship statement to the world about what kind of band you are, then, and, and legitimately I called a buddy of mine who mixes stuff like Jason Aldean, like he does major, major stuff. And I asked him that question. I said, Hey, band wants to get produced, blah, 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 blah. What would you charge him for a single? And he goes, what's the references? And I told him, he goes, Oh man, 15 grand easy for a single. That's like wow. big baller status. Like that's, and, and, I, and I get it. 15 grand is hard to come up with for a yeah. single. That sounds ridiculous. You know, you could spend 20,000 on a, on an album and get it done just the same and it'll sound great. But I posed it to him as, if you want to go platinum status, where everything is cushy and plush and you'll be treated like rock stars, then you know, you're know you spending five grand to go to Blackbird for a day to cut your drums and bass and blah, 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 blah. But your budget is like maybe 10 grand. I was like, or on the low end, you know, like two grand, where we're still going into a really nice studio to cut drums, but it's way less money. We're getting all of that done, but I'm going to have to work a hundred times harder to make your drums sound like they were cut in that room that was five grand a day, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so we had that conversation and, and, um, you know, we, we kind of went around the block with it and the, and they ended up going, okay, well let's meet in the middle, maybe like a three grand budget to get like outside mastering and some other things. And let's, you know, yeah, you're going to have to work for this thing, but it's going to be worth it and everybody's names on it. We'll all be proud. And I'm proud of these guys. Don't get me wrong. When I say this, they released this single today that the guitar player like recorded mix. They used get good drums, which is the periphery. It's Nolly's like drum thing. And it sounds good, but like, and I love these guys. And, and if they're listening, I'm not talking smack is a killer song. And they want to put this on the EP that supposedly that we're going to cut later this year with real drums and real everything. And at that point, I mean, I can genuinely say that it will sound 
like a hundred times better than, than mm-hmm. what they did and not, not that they were doing anything wrong. You know, they wanted to get a statement out. They want to get people to, to start listening and, 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 um, it's cool. And, and I listened to it today and I was like, yeah, man, that sounds good. But it's, it's cool when you can, when you can see your value, you know what I mean? When you look mm-hmm. at a project, you can understand like, I'm not being shitty when I say, Hey, I want you to pay me this much money because I literally know exactly what I can do to make that same song sound huge and wide and big and heavy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I feel like when people do it themselves, a lot of times you're just too close to it to be yeah. able to see those different angles or, you know, or those different ideas. So I don't know. No. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but I'm proud of them and they're going to be, they're killer. I mean, they're a great, they're a great band. Like they're, they're super good. So I'm having a lot of fun with them, but I, the called? funny thing is they're called upon the revelation UTR. And I didn't know, uh, I didn't actually know they were releasing this. And then, and then they called me today. They're like, Hey dude, we're releasing this single today. And I was like, news to me. Cool. Haven't heard <laughs> it. Didn't even work on it. That's great. <laughs> you you know. know what though? I think, uh, been there a million times, uh, continue. I, it's the constant struggle between money versus, you know, what yeah. can I do myself and then the money and the budget and this, and you're always trying to do. And so I've outsourced, I've worked with, with various people outsource some things, gone into studios with some things, done some things at home yeah. and everything is different and has its own value. Right. And, and so if you have an endless budget and that's not an issue, well shit, why would you not? Right. Exactly. But, but when, you know, so I think it's like, you got to kind of choose your battles and decide yeah. when, when you're going to go all in and, and when you can kind of go, well, I can just more, it'll be good enough for whatever. Right. Right. You know, it's, I just don't, I mean, the only thing that's weird about it for me is, is if they end up, um, I mean, if we re-record, you know, I was kind of like, well, you already put it out there. This is the first thing the world's going to hear. Right. <coughs> that's Excuse the hardest me. thing is just being patient. I think, especially for new bands. Yeah. And, and cause really- you just, yeah, it's like, it's like my wife would always say that the, the, um, like you, you want, you get a box of crayons and you want to paint the Sistine chapel. Like I get it. You want to be mm-hmm. that good already, but you know, like I told these guys, we worked on, uh, literally, I, I worked on, they were like so excited, man, about the single, whichever single that was. And I told them, guys, y'all are a new band. You need to gel. Then they found a like two guitar players, right? One of them was the lead singer. Now they've got a dedicated lead singer, and the two guitar players are kind of going to start doing like Alice in Chains like backgrounds, which is going to be really cool when it gets yeah. there. But every time they've been like, actually, now that we've been writing, we got this single, and it's going to be good. I'm like, guys. Why don't we stop talking about it? Why don't y'all just keep writing? And once you have like 20 songs, now you're gelling as a band. Pick your best 10. Now you do an album or an EP or whatever. And that's exactly what's happening. We worked on, I think, three or four songs that they were going to be the single. And the next week it was like, dude, we wrote something new. It's way better than last thing. Now it's going to be the new single. Okay, cool. So scrap that. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Now we got this new song. Oh, it's badass. (laughs) And I get it. I'm like, you guys are doing what you're supposed to do. You're a band. You got to gel. You got to come together. All your influences and write. And that's what you're doing right now. And that's cool. But so I kind of stepped back for a hot minute just just to kind of give them time to do that. And then they put out a single on their own. So, hey, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Well, I think like you were saying, man, that you it's it's almost nowadays with all the technology and the plugins and everything and you can do so much in the box and you can mix i mean all these things right. can be argued about just like the amps right in the yeah. simulators and it's so good and on the one hand it's great because you have all that technology 
But on the other hand, it's like anybody can, you know, can kind of use it. And so there's a lot of guys that are probably making stuff that's like, okay, but it's certainly not what it could be, but right. it's cheaper and blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's like it used, you used to have to get tone. You had to get the tone to tape. That was it period. That's right. It. it wasn't to polish a turd. So when you talk about, especially drums more than anything, having that room and having all those, those factors where you can just get every, and then you're not because dude, drums are the worst editing and or trying the to best. Make, well, or the best, right? But it's or all the in the, it's all in the they, tracking. Drums it's all in the are tracking. making or break it for me, man. Right. I mean, it's all in the tracking. Like I have Yeah. I feel like I can kind of pull up some stuff and put together a, you know, it's not gonna be like amazing, but I can mix something. But yeah. the drum but mixing drums, like that's a whole other animal in of itself. Like drums I think are like this and like everything else is this, at least in my experience, right? I, I think I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm a hundred percent on board with it and I got tagged in another, like a friend of mine tagged me because literally if you go to that, the hit garage page and listen to that first track that's on my SoundCloud, that's the metal metal song. Yeah. You should hear these drums. They're insane. And I'm, I've gotten really good at doing drums. That's, that's like kind of my thing. And it's really funny because they were asking producers, how do you like make drums pop? Like, how do you get good drums in your mix? And they said, Hey, if you DM us and they wanted an audio message and i didn't read the fine print but they're like you can have a chance to be on our podcast so my friend tagged me in it and i kind of did a snarky like reply about oh yeah sure i've got tips but you know blah 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 or something and then i thought about it and i was like you know what if you want a tip i typed out this whole long thing to him and i said go with me i was like i'm not an asshole but like go with me on this if you have great drums a great drummer great gear in a great room that's it. That's literally all you need. Mm -hmm. But most people don't get to work on. Like I, I made the point of saying the first time you get a session that you have to mix from somebody with like a huge budget or like a major label, you're like literally blown away by how good those drums sound out of the bat. You know, like right mm -hmm. when you first pull up a session and you solo your drums, you're like, oh my God, that sounds so good. Right. But I said, but you know, there's ways to work around that if your budget isn't that big and there's, you know, there's things, but the one trick I gave him and I said, and this is a tip, man, as I, like, every mix I ever cared about in my life, every that I was getting paid good money for anything like that, I automate. Cause I learned this early on. I literally automate every track in a, in, in the drums. I automate it all. I'm talking fader rides on the kick on the snare. They're, they're minor, but like automating your overheads and riding up your toms and stuff like that, like that stuff to me, that's what really breathes life into a drum track. And it's super key. Hmm. And this guy, like when I put this answer, he's like, oh my God, that's a great answer. Will you be on our podcast? I was like, well, it'll be my first podcast. <laughs> and, and I got on and I, you know, they asked me about that and I kind of talked about it for a few minutes about drums, but I was like, to me, drums are the most important part of a, of a, a band mix that has drums, period. That's it. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. relationship between the bass and the drums, obviously, you know, like that, that's, those are the biggest keys. Everything else to me is kind of secondary, even a lead vocal. Cause if, if you're not paying attention to that lead, if those drums are crappy, you know, right to yeah, me, yeah. maybe, yeah, yeah, I don't no, know. You're right. Yeah. You know, cause that's everything, man. That's your backbone. But it was really cool to kind of just wax about the whole, like, cause these guys did, they could not believe it's like, I promise you, if you talk to any mix engineer that mixes like major pro stuff, they automate their drum. I guarantee you they're fader riding their drums. Guarantee it. And a bunch of people kind of got on after that. And they're like, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. Nobody talks about it. But yes, most most people do it because your toms, there's always a tom hit that's too loud or too soft. I mean, yeah. at the very least, you're riding your tom fills to, you know, whatever. 
No, you're right. I could go I mean, on, but it's, oh, it's so, well, and that's why you're either doing that or, you know, a lot of guys just sound replaced now. Right. Or, or, yeah. or you and, mix in samples with that to try to get a consistent, cause you're never very, you know, it's very almost impossible to have a super consistent snare and kick. And that's right. what you want. You want that to just be the same every single time. Now, how much on the front end do you do? Oh, that's a great Compression question. wise and stuff and EQ and compression on the front end. I, I'm probably going to regret saying this. I'm a, I'll die on this hill. I'll sink with the ship if I go down, but I'm a committal dude, man. I commit on the way in a lot more maybe than is smart, mm -hmm. but it hasn't like bit me completely in the ass yet. I, I compress kick. Like I get a kick sounding on the way in pretty much how I want it to sound on the record. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, if I've got it, like, for instance, like a distressor, or an LA-2A or something like that at my disposal, be it plug-in. Well, if I'm tracking live drums, usually it's real. But, like, you know, I'll, I'll slam a kick pretty hard for something hard-hitting like rock or even, like, country rock stuff. And, I mean, I'll print it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it makes work uh, much less work on the back end for me, if I, especially if I'm mixing it. But, I mean, EQ settings, like, I know how I want a kick to sound. So... If I if I have a little extra, maybe a little extra top end, I can cut that later. But I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I'll get that kind of almost like basketball kind of kind of thunk and and snap on the top end and compress the crap out of it, and I'll print it most times. Like I probably but, shouldn't admit that. <laughs> I don't know if that's no. A, I mean, well, and I want now I like super want to pick your brain. I mean, because you went to GIT and then you did some of the recording stuff, right? And yeah, I ended up getting to go to. I did the recording program. Um, for the nine month uh, post thing. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm guessing you were doing some home recording and stuff before that, but that's when you really cultivated that and then started working more going into the engineering world. Right. And so something for me, um, I never really spent a lot of time with that. And I'll, you know, fuck around with stuff and I don't really yeah. know what I'm doing. I'm like, Oh, that sounds okay, I guess. And, uh, but like it, compressors can be tricky. I'm still like learning and they're all different. Right. They're like yeah. strange how they kind of, um, so you got to know what the terminology is in this set, but then like EQs, right? So if you're EQing a kick and I guess a lot of guys will say, well, it's, no, it's never the same, but there's got to be some basic parameters you kind of go to or have in mind. Like, like For what EQ? would you, what would you bring out in a kick or what would you cut in a kick? Um, well, like you said, there's a lot of different types of kick drums. And the weird part is, is if you ever listen to samples to replace kicks with, and you hear like, a Slingerland or a Ludwig or wh whatever, you know, you get all these different, they all have this weird kind of different characteristic, but almost, almost a hundred percent of the time I'm boosting at least, I, I don't go super top end. Like some people probably like hit that 10 K or something crazy to me. That's a little high, but I'm, I'm boosting a little bit of eight, probably eight K something up there in the top end with a bell, like a, just a curve, not a mm -hmm. shelf. I'm popping a little bit of that snap, especially like if you're working on double kick, right? Where you got to hear that attack. You, da, 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 da. I mean, you, you have to, you know, and, and you also got to remember like kick is one of those things that's a, almost a hundred percent of the time. It's straight up the middle and it's, it's with your vocal, with your bass, sometimes other things, but typically bass kick and vocal, right. Yeah. And snare are up the middle every right. time. Right. So you got to think about that snare relationship, which 5K is a lot of your snap and attack. It's also, 5K is also the uh, intelligibility of a voice. Hmm. So too much 5K can really lead to ear fatigue, like really bad. Hmm. So you don't want a lot of that necessarily in your vocal, 
but a little of that in your snare is going to bring that out. But then again, okay, you've also got kick right up the middle. So to me, you got to you got to carve that turkey a little differently. So you move up to six or eight k a little bit maybe to get that click of your snare, or I mean of your kick. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a weird big woofy kick, you're going to cut some cut a little bit of mid, like four hundred maybe. I mean, again, I'm spitballing because you sure, know, yeah. like you know, a little bit different. But I mean, and a little bit of. This is the trick though. I always, I always low, like low pat or sorry, low cut a kick mm-hmm. probably around just 30, 40 Hertz, like the really, really low subby stuff. Just scoop that out and then boost about 50 or 60. Right. Okay. So you're, you're killing the really, really, cause your sub, you know, you could have an air conditioner unit that you can't even hear that's rumbling. That's going to add maybe some 30 or 40 hertz like some real low sub bass crap that that if if that's on all of your tracks because you're in a weird room yeah that shit adds up and it screws your whole bass in low end so do you scoop a lot of that on on every track do you just almost almost every track like 20 to 30 i mean unless i you know a lot of times yeah man if i have the time i'll filter out that really 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 low end especially on bass i'll do the like the mcdonald's scoop on a bass where you're (laughs) cutting high end you're like filtering out high filtering out low and then you peak it Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're filtering to like 5K on a bass, then you bump it up at 5K. So you're not getting that real hissy high end. Right. Same thing. And you're cutting that low, but bumping it a little bit at the ass end of it. Like a, That's a killer way to make a, would, a bass kind of hit. And you wouldn't go that low with a bass. Like where if you're putting your, if you're putting your kick around 60, would you go like more like a hundred or 150 with your bass or something maybe? So that is the age old question, right? Who gets the sub bass? Is it kick or bass? And I guess it depends on the music, but a lot of times you're right. I would say I'd probably cut up to about 80 maybe or a hundred on a bass. I mean, if, if it's a five string though, like think about doing like my sugar records, right? Where you've got bass kick and guitars are all fighting for that low end, man. What do you do? Right. I assume I've never worked on something with eight strings, but I would assume that, uh, well, I have tricks for bass. The one thing I learned about bass is you always, with like a five string, you always duplicate your bass, or I do. I duplicate my bass track, and I'll put like a C4, like multi, like a compressor, right, on on that. And I will carve the, there's always one problem frequency in like a five string bass. And you can mix it, and it sounds beautiful, but then they hit that one really low thing, and it throws all your settings to whack. So when you find that one thing, you take your duplicate and you carve the living turkey crap out of that frequency and you get it just to that one, put like a C4 compressor on it to keep it at bay. And then you completely carve just that out of your main track. Right. Mm. So what say it's, I don't know, for instance, like 200, man, you just carve all of it out, all of it out of your main bass track. Mm. And then opposite that on the, you just let the 200 live where you can tame the hell out of it, blend them together. And you've got a totally tamed, perfect bass. uh, So on your other one, you only have that frequency. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Literally you're carving it all the way to 200. So you just like, so everything around both sides. Yeah. And then you're slapping it down. So every time it hits your multiband C4, that's yeah. the one I use, is like slapping it so that anytime they're hitting that low note at, that hits it, say 200, it's always knocking it down and keeping it really pretty. You blend that back in where you removed all of that 200 from your main. Right. It's I not see. 200. I don't know where it is. It's one of them. But no, it gets down <laughs> in there. It can get pretty, pretty, uh, muddy and so yeah. that uh, anywhere from like maybe two to eight even right yeah like i mean you, you never area, know right? but you, yeah. you can see it on like a i don't know like a fab filter or something that shows you your 
Yeah. If you've got that on your bass where you can, man, every time they hit that weird note, you see the spike in your frequency. You just take that one and go to town, carve it up. So do you have like Michael my, Myers when you, when you're doing a uh, like mixing, are you uh, using a lot of plugins and stuff? I mean, like, like you said, like more probably outboard gear in a, in a tracking situation, 100%. especially with drums, but like a lot of other stuff now in the box plugs, do you have uh, some yep. particular stuff that you really, really use a lot? Your favorites? I do, man. I, um, I mean, I do like the UAD stuff because they're powered or whatever, but I, I kind of, uh, I went down the Waves Road a long time ago, and I still think, see, Waves was one of the few, like, you could get the Mercury bundle, like, hacked, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And everybody had the Waves bundle, nobody paid for it, so people crap on it because they didn't pay 10 grand for the Mercury bundle, but, like, when you actually buy licenses for some of the Wave plugins that you use, I, I think Waves is still some of the best, but I'm a big Slate digital guy, man. I use I use Slate on everything, and... Um, I finally uh, went down that road and, and started getting some of that shit. Yeah, man. And, and, and getting, I love it. Um, not I've, just I've all, been a, you know, I've been a slate stock. guy for a long time. I think I, I liked, I mean, when he, um, when he did slate drums, which is his first thing, he went to the most major studios in the world with the greatest drummers on the best kits and the best rooms. And he tracked everything digital or he tracked everything to tape. Sorry. And then, um, bounced it down or whatever you do, you know, rendered it off from tape to digital. And when they did slate drums, like those are the, those are literally the best drum samples I'd ever heard in my life. And at that point I was like, these guys know what they're doing. And so I bought a couple plugins. Now I'm the, like an everything bundle subscriber. And I use, mm -hmm. I use slate on a lot of things, man. But to your question about tracking and mixing, um, a guy in town, you know, you know, Chris Lord Algae is right. Everybody knows he's one oh, of the yeah. major mixers. He has a brother named Tom also, who is a mixer and, um, another guy out here named Joe, somebody he did a, he had an interview for like sound on sound and he let the cat out of the bag. He said, you know, he, and this guy works on like major, major stuff. Right. And he kind of start, he, he told people not only what, but how to do it. He said, look, I, and I've adopted this technique and i do it on every mix man but he he goes you know when you have outboard gear if you ever worked in studios with outboard you had to have recall sheets right where if you had to recall that session man you had to hash mark all these little knobs and buttons on your million compressors and yep. and that shit is tedious yes it's and horrible. if you're working with a diva artist that straight up goes yeah i feel like da 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 da, -da was a little wrong I need you to remix that, or I need you to fix such and such. Don't you have to pull that whole, console. Yeah. A million patch points on your patch bay and like reset all your hardware. Like I can't even imagine mm. like how time consuming. And again, those kind of guys have assistants that do all that, mm -hmm. but that's like a whole day's worth of work. Right. Mm -hmm. So this Joe guy, Joe Carroll, I think was his name. He, um, he kind of said, you know, I, I mix everything in the box now. He's like, I have the knowledge from using all this analog. And if you understand analog, you can understand digital. But he goes, but what makes digital sound like you recorded it analog is is remembering what a tape, like tape machine and the signal flow. So and he straight up goes, this is what I do. Every session, the first plug in across my entire mix, but or every track, right, is some form. He's, he's like, if you're thinking about the signal flow, right? You're hitting the tape machine first in the channel path, then it's going back to monitor path. So he's like, so what I do is I put a tape saturation plug, light tape saturation, every channel, mm. every single channel. And then the next thing is you do some kind of console saturation. Yeah. 
Now he used like Phoenix, whatever. He used some really expensive stuff and there's a million of them, right? I use Massey actually. I use Massey tape head on everything. Hmm. Um, and then I use the Slate virtual console collection and I usually use either the SSL 4K or the API, sometimes the Neve, but you just give it a little drive and a little juice across every track and then you do that opposite on the master bus because it would be opposite going to the tape machine. So you do like your bus compression if you do that, which I do, little bus compression if you do minor EQ and then you do like a... um then you do your console and virtual, like the VCC thing actually has one that's for you specifically for your mix bus. They have the channel plug and the mix plug. So then you put your mix bus um, console, hit it, a, hit it a little bit with the console saturation. And then the very last thing in your chain would be the tape, tape emulation again hmm. on your master. So it's opposite. You do tape first, all your tracks, then console saturation. And then opposite that on your master bus, and it gives this warmth and a little bit of width and, you know, just a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like probably 3%, but it's a little bit of sauce, you know what I mean? It's a little, yeah. like, sound yeah. sauce, little spicy hot sauce, little Texas Pete, right. or a little Cholula. <laughs> yeah. So... Man, you got to have those condiments, man. Yeah. That's it. Little- but, I mean, I've adopted that technique, man. And, I, I mean, again, you're asking gear. I do go out in stereo pairs from my Apollo to a dangerous uh, audio summing mixer. Mm-hmm. So all that does is it. I, I group my stuff. I basically have a stereo out that's just for drums and bass. I do one for all vocals, lead and background. I do one for all instruments. And then my last pair is just effect sends, like reverbs, delays, all that. And so those go out in stereo pairs into my summing mixer, and then they go from that back into the Apollo with a digital cable and then I record it from there, so it gets warmed up in some analog circuitry and then back in. Oh, so that's the point of just sending out those buses. This is to give it that analog. That's exactly warmth. right. It gets it a little, I mean, it's, yeah, it's basically like hitting the the master bus on a, like on a console. Mm-hmm. And it, it warms it up, sums it together, and then you put it back in your, in your you know, back in Pro Tools on a different uh, input and re-record everything, like in real time at that point. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's always like, uh, uh, you always feel like you're, you you know, you can buy fucking around with a mix or something, right? You always feel like you kind of know what you're doing until you talk to an engineer and you're like, Oh God. (laughs) Uh, That's, I mean, yeah, but the number one best tool that you can have, and I know you've got them is good ears. Yeah, for sure. Like that is, you can hear when you do something that's screwed up. You know, I feel like people with bad ears that try and mix, yeah, they're going to mix garbage, but like, like when I was still starting out with this, I didn't know any of this stuff, but I had good ears. And so I could, I could mix a track and make it sound amazing, but it might take me two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can do that in like six hours, but right. you know what I mean? But that's yeah, like, yeah. Um, what are your, time. uh, what's your monitors? What do you, will you, I use Adam audio a seven, seven X's. So the sideways dual, dual drivers. Uh-huh. And I love them, man. They're great. I've had them for years. Do you ever headphone? mix a reference that way um i i mean i i definitely like i i don't know if this is old school i just think it's smart i check everything on earbuds on on these guys i like uh, my buyer dynamics i like these um i check them on earbuds and i check them in a car yeah. before i finalize anything yeah so. Some, someone was just telling us about um some plug now that that emulates all these mm. environments of uh 
I've, yeah, I think Slate does it. It's like Probably. a virtual headphone something or other. Same same exact thing, man. It's it's yeah. weird. Uh, I've never tried it, but I'd I'd give it a go. The uh the Apollo seems pretty popular. I know we've talked to a few folks. Yeah. And uh I know they just they just came out with a new um Universal Audio Apollo Solo, I think. And it's uh it's one that that you just plug into your computer doesn't oh require separate power, right? And so similar to the focus oh, right that I have. Yeah, yeah, Thunderbolt. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It carries that power. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah. But I was looking at a comparison, you know, because I think they compared it to a Focusrite, which is what I have for okay. for voiceover kind of work. And well, your voice sounds sexy, so whatever you uh, got is working. <laughs> well, I'm actually using something different, totally different. Oh. But uh, <laughs> ah, Vic, Vic doesn't Vic doesn't need a lot of like. See, I have to. This is what I post podcast. I have like that, 15 plugs on my voice. This is why he's asking all these engineering questions. Exactly. Yeah. How do I make my How do I make myself sound manly, Mark? Whereas Vic just like naturally sounds great. He doesn't have to do. There's like no processing on Vic's voice and like 10 plugins on my voice. <laughs> well, you see there, skunk. Um, what you got to do is. <laughs> the problem, I get too excited and then I get all high. I'm like Jay Leno. Me, me, me. Instead of just, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Mark Thomas. Uh, did I mention that I'm a badass? See, man, there you go. Right there. Yeah. You just did it. That's awesome. <laughs> you forgot yeah, to those- tell him you put a squash down your pants. Yeah. <laughs> is that a roll of quarters or. <laughs> That's my real cock, Vic. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. This has been the topic yeah, of the week. Right. I did a video right. with the band Invincible Czars where I showcased my gigantic penis. Um, so for anyone interested in that, yeah, we're doing like a Van Halen tribute to some whacked out Van Halen arrangements. And uh, nice. And I did the day I did a uh, dude. I couldn't believe I, I could pull off some jump kicks, man. I was doing the DLR stuff and uh, so I did vocals on it. But uh, yeah. So before we went and did shot the video, I just was like, everyone was like, just dress whatever crazy right i was like well i wore this hat and i had these nice. tight pa- I had these tight fitting pants and like a fucking ridiculous vest and a scarf and then last minute before i was like i'm gonna do go full fucking spinal tap on this motherfucker and i grabbed a piece of squash out of my refrigerator so that's yeah i was I mean, finally I the like man that the i wanted to be vegetable to to emulate well nobody knows it's squash you know you everybody thinks cucumber someone said banana mm. but uh no it's squash did you tape it to your leg or what you you know did it I ride up or I down that's the thing i didn't even have to tape it the pants were so fucking tight wow that i well i can't even fit in half my pants anymore and these are like an old vintage kind of old whatever pants and i couldn't even button them so i and, and i was like that was the thing i was gonna go just go with it and that was the joke of the video I just, my gut hanging out and shit and this motherfucker i just wedged it in my leg and it just <laughs> man anyway uh so there's that um God damn it. I was going to ask something serious. I and I started it. talking That's about my, my Dirk Diggler cock. Oh, the <laughs> Apollo stuff, man. Yeah, dude. Like I really want to oh, get one of those. I yeah. just, um, I had, I was still running off a double O three until pretty recently. And then my Mac, everything just took, took a shit. And I, so I got a Mac mini and I got this, yeah. the focus, right. Vic's talking about, which are great bang for your buck. And, yeah. you know, but look man, up those the Apollos. arrows. I think it's called the Apollo arrow. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. yeah a little, that a thing's little, killer, man. It, I mean, see? it's literally exactly what I've got. It's just like less inputs. And yeah, yeah. It's, every, like I'm, I, I think like every single fucking person I've talked to in like the last six months has said the same thing. They've all got those. Yeah. The only this, thing you're going to notice, which is going to super piss you off. And, and I love you. UAD, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this makes me so mad. It's the only professional piece of gear I've ever bought in my life. 
that did not include everything to hook it up. Like they're like, Hey, you need a Thunderbolt three cable to hook this up to your new badass computer cable, not included. Right. No. right. <laughs> and then you go on and you're like, well, what kind of cable there's different cable, you know, what is it really any skin off your back to put a $10 cable in my box? Like, yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's my old, everything I love about them. But well, I ended up okay. getting what I got cause it was much cheaper, but yeah. also was, it's amazing how many interfaces now don't have a fucking basic MIDI cable i mean oh, I, that's yeah. right do, yeah. does the apollo have well i guess yours does if it's a bigger rack I, right? yeah i have midi if i have midi in and out but now a lot of times like i actually have um just through a USB keyboard thing or that something? goes midi through usb yeah. so yeah yeah i don't Weird. i don't think that new solo does but i i was really impressed with the comparison because it does a lot of the processing front end so it takes yeah. a lot of the floor noise out it does all sorts of cool stuff so i've been yeah. looking at that but man they're expensive <laughs> They are a little pricey, but well, I, the one but I hear they're worth it. It was, was that probably a couple grand or what? So I got that and the computer and all that stuff from, from the GC pro guy out here who waved his magic wand over it and definitely gave me a deal. But yeah, I think normally, I think the big, I think this guy is like 26 or 28. I think I paid two for it. Mm-hmm. What's your, uh, what are some of your go-to mics? Vocal Ooh, stuff. that's a good one. My favorite vocal mic in the world after working with the dude at Blackbird is a 251 mic. I feel like it is the absolute essence for like female, like, like I feel like women have, not all of them, but a lot of country female singers have this thing that happens about three, three K it's around three K a little, little past, but this weird little thing in their voice that's an it's a an annoying frequency and i always dip it out but there are certain mics that their their frequency response like dips that out magically Hmm. uh and and the 251 uh i don't have this is the this is the warm audio version of the 251 mic Mm -hmm. and it's comes in at like 800 bucks instead of like five grand but man warm audio is killing it in my book right now i actually have a couple of their products that i love man they're making they're realizing that a name is just a name right and that if you have good components and good build quality and all of that they man they're they're literally killing people right now because they're just undercutting like any good piece of gear all the neve mic pre's and you know that's as a guitar player for me that was the most important thing buy one really nice maybe stereo mic pre like something really good like a neve whatever you know get something nice and warm audio is like oh cool we have a dual channel neve 1073 mic pre or line pre and it's like a tenth of the price of a real neve and it sounds exactly the same oh and that api that was five grand we sell it for eight hundred dollars and man i mean for real like oh you want a u87 neumann cool instead of four grand we'll sell you one for 600 bucks mm-hmm. and their quality is amazing the noise floor is non-existent like this is a 251 it's a tube mic and you know the elam 251 if you find a real one they're like anywhere between five and eight grand and when you use one for real you're like holy shit you know these things sound amazing but I got this guy, and I mean, I've used it on so many vocals and acoustic guitar. It's just butter. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 it. But um, oddly enough, I I was the I was the guy that would rather take one mic, 
not one, but like, you know, one type of mic, a dynamic, a tube, a, you know, ribbon, whatever, and learn how to use it in any situation than have like a stupid mic locker where you have too many choices like we do today with plugins, right? Right. How many compression <laughs> plugins do you have? Oh, I have 800. Well, how many do you use? Two on every session, two, right, two yeah. of the, you know, so it's that kind of mentality, man. I've got a fat head two uh ribbon mic that i that i back before i used fractal stuff that i would mic guitar cabs with and i would always do that with an sm like a 57 you know blend a ribbon and a 57 and that's that's rock and roll man that's that's a great cab sound um you know i told you about my vocal mics i have a couple i have a couple sterling audio mics that i've had for years that i love one's a condenser and the other's a tube condenser that they're great uh st69 i think and an st55 i don't know but I, I love the sterling stuff and they're they're very inexpensive but like you know pete thorne who does all those gear demos mm -hmm. he demoed all these sterling mics at one point i was like dude holy crap if you can make them sound that good like come on so i use a yeah, lot of that but seeing that a lot i mean because right like why spend four grand who has that for starters right if you well, had it's, it, a, great. it's a name you know it's a name yeah but yeah, if, if the components are there and, and they're they're getting exactly the same That's exactly it. response and circuitry, et cetera, then it's like cool. It's like actually those, somewhat affordable. Yeah. And if and if you know, if you had a, a a minor budget to spend on some really crazy good gear, you could build a rack out of, of the warm audio stuff and have everything you need. I mean, they've literally they've emulated the uh like the MEQ five. Oh my gosh, what's what's the I'm trying to think of the regular brand, but like, man, literally so many pieces of EQ and, and mic pre's and mics now and everything like they're, they're literally, they're killing it. So it's worth checking out. The warm audio stuff. Was that warm what you audio. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I haven't used a bad piece of their gear yet. Yeah. Those Newman's are highly expensive rated. <laughs> yeah. Highly expensive. And now, but so the other thing, the good thing about probably Austin too, but Nashville, like we have a SIR, well, SIR doesn't do it, but, um, there's places where you can rent Blackbird does it like mm. you can rent, you know, and the cool thing is if I have a project that I really need something specific for, like if they're, if like a hip hop guy, right. That wants to use the Sony, what is it? The 800, I forget what it is. $8,000. Like the, the, uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z mic, like I got two of them because it was 16 grand. Mm -hmm. I think they sound like shit, but you can rent one <laughs> like from Blackbird for a day for like a hundred bucks, maybe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, oh yeah. yeah, if somebody really has a request like that, like, but you know, some vocalists, I tell people all the time, like learn what you're using. Like I right. got, I recorded this girl with an actual C12 mic going into a real tube tech which is my favorite compressor by far for vocals, especially a tube tech CL one a not CL one B it's like the hand wired big blue tube compressor. Everybody uh -huh. has and a, a API mic pre she had like an $18,000 mic chain and the girl could barely sing. And I'm not going to say who this person was, but it doesn't matter. But the point is I'm like, Carissa was in the, in the studio vocal producing her with me. And I'm like, babe, she's on like an $18,000 mic chain. Yeah. And like somebody like you who can actually sing, like you kill on this and yeah. her, we're like, you know, pulling out knee cartilage, trying to get a good take. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's sad. Well, that's the thing, right? It starts, if you're singing or you're playing guitar, it starts there Yeah. and then everything yeah. is a chain from there. But if you can't do that first, like, yeah, if you sound like shit, then you're just going to sound like $18,000 worth of shit instead of that's right. Solid gold doo-doo baby. 
<laughs> yeah, and then and then you can just auto tune the shit out of it, and they can sound like a, a fucking robot. But and you do know you what? Do, do you do a lot of that, man? I was uh, about to say that's what I did for the mm-hmm. first like four years I lived here. I, oh, I was wow. the guy that got all the crap jobs, and I, I mean they pay well, but I did all the grunt work, man. I auto tuned so many turdy vocals; it's unreal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because so much stuff, though, especially with the Nashville competition and that style in the pop country, like it's everything's perfect. It's just perfect. Right. It has to be. Yeah, it's you know what I mean? So it's like and you can hear it. I mean, you hear it on on commercial big time commercial records. You really hear. Oh, man. Pristineness of every vocal. where You're like, that's fucking not that's not a natural vocal take. You know, here's the worst one or one of the worst ones. And I, I literally would have fired this person. I don't know who did this record. I should look up before I say this, but. Carrie Underwood, who can sing, who can mm-hmm. sing her ass off. And I think she's an amazing singer. Mm-hmm. If you listen to her song, Blown Away, mm-hmm. when she does that, blown away, she hits that long note. You can hear the phasing of the, of the glee auto-tune, just the flat line. I'm like, man, let that girl's voice live. Like, she's Right, good. right. Yeah, so like, why do you do that? So, so. weird. Well, let me ask you this. Like, what do you use uh, when you do do that kind of stuff? Um, what are your, what's your plugin? So if I'm record, if I'm working with somebody who's a really good singer, right. That we just need to nip and tuck and just tuck it in a little bit. If I'm not doing surgery, cause I, I'm a Melodyne guy. Right. But I mm-hmm. think Melodyne is playing God. It really is. You can do some, I you can do some amazing plastic surgery, breast augmentation vocals that that you know that were just crap like five minutes before but you can really really play god so i don't like doing that if i don't have to because mm-hmm. it is tedious but um i use actually with uad they released a recently released a uad auto-tune real-time advanced and i wasn't a fan of auto-tune for years because i feel like auto-tune is one of those you can really like it changes the sonic character of the of the vocal but now it doesn't Hmm. It, it's really man it's advanced it's good and uh that was like one of the only plugins i actually bought this last year and when i tossed that on a track that like with for instance i'm working on my wife's uh record right now we were supposed to release it last april of covid year and we were told not to do that so we didn't and so now we'll probably be releasing her ep in march or april of this year whenever things starts to go back to normal but you know with her i can throw auto-tune real time on her vocal and and it just it just dots the t you know dots the i's crosses the t's and just pulls those little things but it doesn't affect like blue notes where you intentionally maybe saying something a little flat yeah, for yeah. for effect it doesn't man it doesn't touch it it's it's pretty it's pretty smart wow I actually i can't believe i'm endorsing an auto-tune product that's how but, i felt uh, about it forever and i've become more of a, a melodyne guy too where 100 like melodyne you just it lays it out and then you can go in there and dissect it and like that's said, right play, play god right but the autotune stuff always sounded like just horrifically obvious autotune right and I, really, I, 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 I agree with that you. stuff yeah now so again this is me this is in auto mode right so this mm-hmm. isn't gra- I i never i mean i used autotune in graph mode back in the day before melodyne but now like you know, this is just in auto mode where it's just tucking stuff in with a not an entirely fast retune speed, so it's not robotic. It's very natural sounding. It's it's nice, man. Wow. Yeah. And that, so that's, that's a good Universal one. Audio that they're the ones who originally did uh, that program. 
No, no, no. I mean, well, originally Autotune was Antares, but I think Antares and UA made a deal, so they released the UA, you know, the UA version of Autotune real time or whatever. But I like it. It works. Too bad it won't come with uh, with an interface like uh, like they won't send you a cable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But do, don't those have like I've heard they have like plug. They come with shit. I thought too, right? Don't they? They uh, do. They come, they come with. with so it's funny. It's all good stuff, and I love using it. I haven't bought any plugins for it except for that Auto Tune. But it's like they're called the Legacy, like eleven seventy sixes, and you know, there's some really nice compressors. There's nice. some. You know, they don't give you like the Neve or the SSL channel or any of that. Those are those are a little pricey. You got to buy them. But I have all that on Slate, so I don't feel the need to. Yeah, I, I got used to some SSL stuff, so I use those SSL channel strips. Dude, I could, um, back in the day, I would throw the Waves SSL channel across every channel and just mix like I was on a console, and that's that was much, it. Yeah, that's, that's and, pretty and much that's all I, you needed, man. I, I use those SSL channels now, and I use uh, the... Um, well, you know, the mix rack, the slate mix rack yeah. for compression yeah, and, and some other stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get it with that, like you got to stop, <laughs> you got to stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, it's cool, man. I'm glad I finally, you know, it, it, it's like anything, right? Could you work with what you have? And so I was just doing the bomb factory, the stock stuff that was yeah. in there, the Pro Tools EQ. Dude, bomb it's, factory it's, it's kind of cool for certain that colors the sound big time though. Like it's, it's kind of cool for certain instances. Like, yeah. But then I got this finally was like, all right, fuck it, you know, and, and got these these plugins because because guys like yourself, you know, like engineers really started saying uh, the diehard analog guys were a lot of them were finally going like, man, this shit now is so good. And like you're saying, and then there's tricks to where you can still kind of emulate the tape and the you try to create the illusion of an analog world. Right. right? And, and then you're summing out here and there and you're hitting some analog stuff. But. I think so many guys now just for, and like you said, man, I've done that recalling fucking boards and stuff. It and sucks. A ridiculous. Just spending like two fucking hours just to recall yeah. a fucking mix. It's stupid. You know? It's insane. Yeah. So it, it kind of has really gotten to that point where it's like I, that stuff is great to have for tracking, you know, yeah. the outboard analog gear, I guess, if you want to do it, but it, it doesn't seem and then computers are so fucking powerful now it just yep. definitely seems like you can do so much mixing in the box you know well with ua now they have this stuff called their unison technology so you can put all these plugins on the front end and have like a neve mic pre going into an la2a and it sounds i would venture to say 99 percent as good as if you were really on a oh wow neve pre going into an la2a or whatever an 1176 and tracking through the apollo with it and it's man it sounds so good it's crazy like like people like poo poo about like oh, oh but i i would venture to say that if you took the greatest ears in the world of the best engineers and you put like three or four tracks in front of them said oh out of these three tracks which one was recorded with analog and which ones are digital they're never gonna get it it's not you know yeah. it's so it's not discernible to me anymore i don't think it's that good, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, time versus money versus all that. It's just like, what's the point, yeah. you know? Unless you just want to do the nostalgia thing. and Yeah, which, hey, you know, don't get me wrong, man. If I had a million bucks and could have that cool gear, I'd probably yeah. use it every once in a while. Right. But I'd just probably get fun. tired of recalling those sessions after a while, too. Well, they make things now where you basically, trying to think of like the SSL, I forget the company or whatever, but like... uh yeah, where you sort of, you know, they used to use those little, those fucking floppy disks, those old hard yeah. floppy disks. Oh, okay. 
then you're recalling a whole, you know, the computer's fucking gigantic, you know, and it's like yep. the size of a kitchen sink and it's loud as all fuck. And then you're recalling on these goddamn little, you know, floppy disk. And it's just crazy. Now I think a lot of that you can do through a computer program. And it's just, I don't yeah. know how that will reacts with the board, but oh man. I mean, they'll, they'll, you know, with the flying faders thing back in the, whenever that was like eighties or nineties, yeah. I mean, you can definitely recall your faders, but like you can't, I don't, I don't know. Sit there and turn all those knobs. Yeah. I think, you know what I think maybe it is now is that it just, it now I, I know what it is. It's, you still got to go turn all the shit. It's just recall instead of looking at an old screen, that looks like a fucking Atari graphics yeah. from way back you're, you're actually looking at like on your computer on your mac and, ah, okay but but i imagine you do still have to go do all the manual recalling which is yeah just oh, 100%. Horrible. horrible yeah that's why you get an assistant you hey man you want to learn something come over for the day i'll pay you five bucks and some sushi and yeah <laughs> make my knobs look good <laughs> uh, pretty much grunt work uh hey man we all had to do it or at least i did you know that's it's cool though, glamorous. man. I and I and man, just think about the guys back in you know you came after the the tape cutting days and guys well, just have cut. Did I you got do any to of work that? on tape. Really? Yeah, a little bit. I, I actually like? got to I got to stripe tape and sync it and uh, you know I was I was the last class that ever got to work on tape at that school though. I remember going to MI and recording a, a horrific demo song with a, a guy that went to RIT at the time that I, a buddy of mine knew and none of us knew what we were doing oh. and it, it was a terrible song <laughs> and it was like i recorded the drums on my drum machine and then we just like dumped these crap drum machine song uh, in and then like recorded the song but yeah and it was yeah. on adat still back oh, then. oh yeah i mean shit that was 20 years ago so you know vcr tapes on. no and the little one of the i they had like what three three or three different studios in there so whatever the yeah. smallest one was and they had one, I think, with a Neve and one with an SSL, maybe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. See, they've changed all that now, man. There's an API in uh, Studio A. They got rid of that 4K SSL. It was a Neve VXS console and a, and a, a SSL 4K. And the uh -huh. cool part about that console was they're actually like G series and E series channel strips because they just had people replace them and it was like kind of a crapshoot what worked and but it's kind of cool like I know yeah. a guy here that I've worked with a lot and he's got an SSL with it's the E EQs he'd kill me if I got this wrong but it's like a G plus computer in the E EQs because okay. I think a lot of those guys prefer right yeah. different oh, series yeah, of EQs that was, that was a fought over color. thing yeah yeah so it's one of those hybrid fucking hell I think he got his board was sitting in Nashville for his, for a long ass time wow. I was um I think it was used to re record uh, Shania Twain stuff and uh, nice whatever. right on yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Shania uh, Shao Shania with old Mutt Lang man that's it the Mutt oh God the Mutt is is he uh where does he live is he over in England I guess huh yeah I he's don't not a national guy yeah oh shit gosh. man dude this has been awesome catch yeah, up in the chat man I I would love to next time I, well I was hoping to do like a little mini tour with the band you know, same thing with 2020, right? We were going to come up to Nashville for the NAMM show, but hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, is it, do you know if it's already been canceled? Do you know anything, if there's going to be a NAMM this summer? So everything I heard is that NAMM is going to be virtual, but I don't, I think that's y'all's NAMM, right? Or not y'all's NAMM, uh, LA uh, NAMM. Uh, well, they, that's already done. Yeah. yeah. And that was, the so I don't, thing. I think they're still, I think they're holding out, man. Not sure. Yeah. I think they're holding out, but summer NAMM is, I, I want to say it's in July. So I, I, everything that they're saying it's a is crap you know, shoot. 
It's a crap oh, if 80% of the population has the vaccine, then life can go back to normal. Well, you know, whatever. I don't know. About I, I'm that. not going to, yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath for anything really this year. I know Me I have, neither. like you said, you've got some stuff in what, April? I've got April. something in, I start having some shows like June, August, yeah. stuff that was supposed, supposed to be last summer that's been, everything's been pushed back a year. So yeah. best case scenario, everything gets wonderful, which I doubt will happen, but you know, come up there and, and uh, do Nam or something and, and uh, come to Nashville. I'd love to come check out your studio, man. You got and, to. Uh, and hang dude, for sure. You know who visited me the most recently though? Hmm. You remember Greg Harrison? Mm. What? Oh, maybe Greg was after your time, dude. He was maybe. the, uh, he was literally like the dime bag Daryl kid, like the eight string guitar. He, He's like Mr. Mashuga, dude. Like he's beast guitar player, man. And then he went over to, hey, I want to learn every gypsy jazz Django thing and do all of it. Like he's he's a monster. But he taught at the school for many years. He was a student there, and then he taught there for a uh -huh. long time. But he was doing an. Uh, I I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I think it was a show for Netflix called Guitar Hunters, and oh. they were traveling all over and like finding guitars and talking to people. You know, Brent Mason is right. Um. Come on. You don't know Brent Mason? I don't know. That okay. sounds really familiar, though. Look him up. He's literally like the most number one probably recorded guitar player ever, but he played on every country record. He is the chicken pickinest, like okay. grossest okay. guy, right? <laughs> but so Greg went and met up. He came to the studio. We did a whole shoot here and hung out and chatted and just kind of caught up and BS for a while. I had a good time. And then right after that, he went over to Brent Mason, who is literally one of the greatest pickers ever. And Brent tried to get Greg because Greg's long-haired, metal-looking guy. And he went in, oh, hey, you know, they go in and they shoot. He, it, you know, John Bollinger from Premier Guitar was like yes. on the shoot with him uh -huh. and would go in and they'd talk and introduce. And so he and Brent start playing. And apparently on the show, Brent goes, oh, cool, man. Well, yeah, you can shred, right? You can play all this. But, oh, what? How? like he basically called him out and said, oh, well, how are you like on jazz standards? Which he didn't understand that Greg was about to eat his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and like Greg goes, oh cool, what do you want to play? And, and Brent and Brent is a fine, fantastic player, but apparently Brent was like, oh yeah, let's chop over this, and just started like playing some like super high tempo, like something fast, like. And Greg just like went so hard on him that he put his guitar down. Wow, <laughs> damn, dude! And I don't know if that will ever show up on the TV show, but Greg's like, bro, you should have seen it. Brent Mason was like, damn, <laughs> like, oh man, yeah, that's awesome, crazy. Dude. But yeah. yeah, man, Greg's a cat, man, but he was, uh, yeah, he came over and they did a shoot here and, and we hung out for a little while, but I can't wait, man. I hope you get to come to town and I'll, I'll definitely make sure we'll, we'll get to meet up. Hey, are you a, you're a hybrid picker. Yeah. I don't know. I am. Yeah. Chicken yeah. picker. Totally. You chicken know, we pick. had, a, we had, uh, the same guitar teacher out at MI for a bit. Uh, Al Bonham. Al Bonham. Yes. That I learned so much shit from that guy, man. That guy was incredible. Yes, he is. I'm sure he can play anything, but I think of the country. I oh, he was, walk, yeah, he was a country bass, guy, man. Walking bass, jazz stuff, some great country licks. Yep. All that kind of shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got nails for the first few years I was here. I would get uh, these two guys put acrylics on them just to do all that chicken picking stuff. Oh, wow. You actually do the interesting. Well, I got pooped on. People were like, why are you putting them sissy ass nails on? And I was like, <laughs> well, that's what... That's what like Brent Mason does, but Brent Mason's also plays with a thumb pick too. He's like an exclusive thumb pick guy. I've never done that. Have you? Me, done, me neither. Yeah. It's I tried it like because he did it. I was trying to do that thing for like a couple months, and it. I think I put like six months into it, and it just didn't really feel right. So, 
but his he's weird right he'll hold he'll thumb pick but he still uses he doesn't use his first finger he still uses his thumb sorry what am i doing i'm weird he -hmm. uses these two so if you're finger picking it's still these two in your pick so he's using a thumb pick and then he's still finger picking with these two yeah it's it's super weird man you should look up some brent mason stuff dude he'll blow your mind he's awesome okay he's amazing no, I just I just pulled them up here. Yeah, like, well, I, there's all kinds of things. I, I this is good for me to have a podcast where I get endlessly shamed about not knowing. No, I should have just I should have just lied and done the thing where I go, yeah, sure, sure, and then like, yeah, Google Brett Mason. Oh, he's great. Oh, he's no, great. I mean, great, great, great metal shredder. Yeah, great. Yeah, great yeah, shredder, yeah, metal shredder guy. <laughs> Love his sweet picking. <laughs> oh just man, tour with Ingve. <laughs> oh, Ingve. Oh, dude, we just, uh, yeah, we just talked about, do you remember Guy Laverick from England who was out at MI? I used to hang with that dude all the time. So, and I went over to England a couple of times uh, around that time, but we just had him on, man. We we're talking with him about. Oh yeah. I remember that guy. Old... Yeah. He's great. Sweet picker, right? No, <laughs> just a B. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's all, it's all, that's all he does is sweet pick only nothing else. Wow. And that's the, <laughs> you can only play one style of guitar, right? You have to be a lead or a rhythm player. You have to take right. Choose. And you Metal, have to have scallop frets and be that guy. Oh Jesus Christ! I love Vi, and you're a Vi guy. I remember yeah. hearing. I think you. I heard Ultra Zone through you. And uh, yes. Frank, oh my God! What a good record. Fucking Frank is on yeah. that. Album. Oh, yeah. Oh man, you're bringing me back. That's Windows yeah, that's to the exactly Soul. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I did like Steve Vi. I mean, I shouldn't say it like I don't anymore. Like he's like made it sound Steve like I. he's dead. Jeez, dude. No, it's horrible. <laughs> Zappa. I never got into the Zappa. I more recently got into Zappa, and Dweezil Zappa is probably one of my favorite guitar players. Yeah. Man. That guy is fucking phenomenal. But I, I remember there was a dude at my back who were, ended up working with Steve I at a studio or something. I can't remember his name. So um, it's funny that you say that because that was my wife's ex-boyfriend. His name was Enrico. He, he, yeah, he engineered for Steve I. Really? Okay. Yeah. Carissa told me a story one time when we were first dating. You remember the Grove? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're out at the Grove, which is Vic. It's like this... Um, kind of outdoor it's like where the common folk and the people from beverly hills can kind of co-mingle and they can <laughs> laugh at us uh and it's kind of outdoor and there's like some cool stores and stuff but i remember walking by and steve i was sitting there with his wife and and i was like oh my god like i'm fanboy and i was like that's steve Vi. and she goes i'm gonna go say hi and i was like what do you mean you're gonna go <laughs> say hi she's like i had easter dinner at his house with my boy ex-boyfriend and oh. she like walks up steve I, hey steve and he's like Oh my God, Carissa, how are you? And da, 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 and I'm sitting there just like, <laughs> what is happening? So anyway, you proposed the next day. Yeah. I was yeah. like, whatever. So like, um, is Steve Vai going to be at our wedding? Yeah. <laughs> could, could, hey, could, could you get Steve to come? That'd be really great. If, Hey, you know what? He, uh, I did actually get to work at his studio, not doing anything studio related, the, but the mothership uh, is that the mothership. Yeah. yeah. We had to like help him go through all of his guitar vault and like organize tape and stuff. I had a friend who kind of worked for him, but he pulled out the triple neck heart guitar from David Lee Roth skyscraper. Oh wow! That supposedly is hanging on a wall at some hard rock somewhere, and he's like, "That's a bunch of bullshit. That ain't the real guitar. This is the real guitar right here." And he pulled it out and like let us play on it for a second. It was cool. Holy shit! Wow. But let me tell you what: when Steve I hands you a guitar, you you like strum a G chord. That's it. Oh. Yeah, dude, that would be like horribly intimidating. Yeah, it's 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 it, you don't try and play anything. You literally yeah. just go, "Oh, yeah, oh, bro, perfect intonation. Oh, yeah, that's great. Here you go." <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I did. 
I felt like an asshat holding that guitar. I was like, yeah, whatever. even touching it. You're just like, I'm not worthy of this. Yeah, at all. pretty please much. Take, please take this out of my hands. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, t- I'm ruining I'm tainting they, this instrument I mean, right now. Y- you didn't want to play freight train by nitro. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. God, <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Nitro. It never gets old. Man. Yeah. Good times. I think you would have really Thomas. impressed him with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Skunk Manhattan. Victor Dr. Ramos. Manhattan. What? So, I've just said Victor's name too. Boom. Just say all of her names. I there thought you, you um, said taste the rainbow, which I was like, that's a really weird thing to say. <laughs> Mark Thomas, taste the rainbow, everybody. Taste the rainbow. <laughs> Hit Garage Records. So hitgaragerecords.com. Is that the website? Correct. Yeah. Hit uh, me up. Er- <laughs> oh, yeah. Nashville, man. Roll through. I, if you're in Nashville, you probably actually get some affordable recording, right? Uh, correct. I got um, what you need. Check me out. Scott, what you need, not just in his pants. All about the drums. Believe it or not, it's just a squash or a roll of quarters. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, man, anything else though? Your wife, Carissa, like uh, what's the, what's that site? Where do people find that? uh, Well, she now for various reasons goes by Char Nichols, which is Char, 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 like Char, like Char. Not Charles, Char. Char, like you're going to burn somebody's face off with some Char broiled I don't know where I'm going Nichols. with that. That was dumb. Char Nichols. Char Nichols. But yeah, man, her EP will be coming out. Hopefully, I think we're actually going to redu- release a single. One of the guys that co-wrote a song now has a couple number ones under his belt. So we're going to start oh, getting wow. some digital content and like kind of promote Killer. that. But hopefully in March, uh, I produced it, recorded it, played it, and yeah, had fun with it. Awesome, man. Yeah, Other please that, let me know. Love to hear it. Yeah. A lot, cool, of, lot cool. of, hopefully a lot of stuff this year in the pipeline. That's That's the hope. Indeed, indeed. Great catching well, up with you, man. Yes, sir, and I hope to see you soon in Nash, man. And Vic, you're Absolutely. welcome anytime. Come on up. Sounds good. I, I got yeah, a dude. place to crash, you know. Come on. Likewise, if you're uh, down seeing the family in Wimberley sometime, yeah, man, give, me a, give me a buzz, dude. I, I actually, skip. I will. We're um, we, you know, when we get down there, it's like Christmas, you know, every once in a while, and so we see them for like a few days, and we don't get out much. But this COVID Christmas, we literally stayed inside the whole time. It kind of sucked, but next Did time you I'm actually, there, I will you actually call you. went down there though, huh? Yeah, I just yeah, yeah, we flew in for Christmas. We were there for like five or six days, but it was, I mean, it was literally like my folks just, just you know locked down. Stayed, yeah. yeah, we stayed in and hung out. So that's good. You're responsible. That's good. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks for making time, man. It's a pleasure All catching right. up and talking to you. No, yes, sir. About how EQ my kick drums now. So, <laughs> <laughs> rock and roll. Yes, All right, sir. everybody. This is another one in the can episode. Who knows? Uh, with Skunk Manhattan, Victor Ramos, our Thomas Woo-hoo. has been our guest. All right. Take well, care of yourselves. Later. All right, guys. Later. Later.
Make it work. 